0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Gigabit Nation. We are here this week, as in every week, uh, helping public, private, and nonprofit organizations get broadband into every place it needs to be. Um, this week has been really an interesting uh, week for us on the show. We have... Gentlemen, um, uh, gentleman on, on Monday, uh, Kyle uh, Hollifield, who gave us excellent tips on marketing broadband uh, networks and broadband programs. Uh, yesterday, we had the co-founder of Intelligent Communities Forum, who uh, gave us a, a lot of good insights, sort of a starting point on how do you drive innovation with broadband. And today, because I am still here at the uh, ICF uh, conference, we're going to be talking to mayors from five different cities world and getting different views and, and viewpoints on this whole thing called uh, broadband innovation. So buckle up, we're here for three hours. Uh, this is going to be quite the show, and my uh, lead-off batter, because they do have baseball up in Canada, eh? <laughs> and uh, is Mayor Mel Norton, who is from St. John, New Brunswick, in- up in Canada. So first, welcome to the show, and it's great to have you on. Thank you, Craig, so much. It's a
1: pleasure to get invited to uh, to do this, and thank you for taking the time to put together uh, together this lineup of uh, of mayors from across the world, really.
0: No worries. I mean, I have to thank ICF for the lineup. Show up and, you know, tap in and say, who right. wants to be a star? Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, you know, I read some of the um, overview that, uh, that you guys submitted to ICF to become one of the top seven uh, communities, and one of the things that caught my mind, it seems like your and One of your innovations, if you will, is using the technology to maximize the talent of your local folks. I want to talk about that, especially the call we had right before we went on air.
1: The... Um the interesting thing maybe just for your listeners who who uh, aren't familiar with the location of our city uh, St. John is a uh, a tiny uh, tiny city by by most standards uh on the sort of the eastern edge of North America uh for your American listeners uh if they think of of where the great state of Maine is and they go north and go a little further east they'll they'll find our province. our city is sort of tucked along the coast there and one of the realities of being in that part of the world is we're we're relatively isolated from uh, from the rest of the world. It's a, a small, isolated place, which has actually created a lot of a lot of benefits. In, in this way, people have been forced to innovate and connect. And uh, one of the one of the neat things that's happened um, really over the last 20 years or so is that uh, our, our telecommunications company, the local company, became a, a leading innovator uh, in putting fiber into the ground really early on. Um, two two fiber optic networks uh, run underneath our, our streets, and it's the most fiber intense place in the province, and one of the one of the most intense places in the country. And so that's given us uh, an enormous amount of bandwidth. That one of the one of the projects that we're continuing to work on is partnering uh, with the, with a sister city, uh, UK, with uh, with Dublin, um, and, and or pardon me, Belfast, and. The neat thing about being able to, to partner with a place like Belfast is uh, they've they've through some of the same transformations that we've had to go through in Saint John, going from a really an industrial uh, community, a community based on building and in primary industries, uh, to a community that really has to bring itself come into a into a new way of of, uh, of doing business and business based on on information and, and business based on innovation and and an economy based on, on the knowledge in the brain, well, not, not the minerals in the ground or the, the timber in the forest. That's
0: uh, that's interesting because, yes, obviously here in the U.S. And, and in many countries, really, we have lots of isolated communities, and this issue of will they be part of the 21st century is a key one. And, and the gentleman we spoke with right at the beginning, uh, he seems like he has this application that links... Communities around the world. I mean, basically wherever you can get an internet tie-in. And why don't you describe that that project a little more?
1: Yeah, one one of the uh, one of the great things, and and for for people who are are in places that like our our community. Um, Really now, like no other time in the past, um, there's no no such thing as as nowhere. You you never have to be in the middle of nowhere again, and that's that's very important for a community like ours to be able to um, to be able to link together with uh, literally places around the world. Which means that in real time, uh, we can we can connect, we can share ideas, we can uh, innovate, uh, and And we all know that innovation really is a a product not just of of one person sitting in in a room, but really it has to involve connections with people. Um, And those connections can be in a number of ways. They can be on the streets of a city, they can be in an office setting, uh, or they can be virtual connections and just having that ability to link virtually uh, in real time over over some of the the fastest networks uh, anywhere in our country. provides an advantage that we're just really beginning to see the the benefits of mm-hmm.
0: now are you finding that um, as guys Chris alluded to earlier that individuals can now do more as a result of having this connectivity kind of I mean it's not strictly a business per se but it is the individual wanting to be
1: able to reach out and become part of a bigger community or what have you well, that's that's right I mean, the uh, the the fellow I was talking to, uh, the, the person I was talking to, uh, uh, Chris Boudreau, he uh, he's the CEO of a company called Clinic Server, and they provide uh, they provide uh, clinic management software. The majority of their clients are overseas. All of their connection software and and connectivity is in is in Canada, uh, and many of their clients are. Side of the globe, uh, so that 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 creates um, it creates the ability to not just have those connections locally, but to have those connections virtually anywhere in the world with the kind of uh, with the kind of structure that you can have, mm-hmm. uh, and that's built into uh, built into literally the granite streets of, uh, of Saint John. <laughs> that
0: makes sense. Now in. T- practical benefits what are we what are we talking here because i think there are there's a segment of people especially folks who get you know sort of in the anti-broadband mode who feel like well this is just an entertainment device but but what are you seeing in, in a general sense now that people are becoming more uh, connected
1: well in in our city one of the one of the neat things that we're seeing and this this is isn't just a a, a phenomenon in uh in saint john or in Brunswick or in Canada, but you're seeing this all over the place. Um, those cities that create the kind of connectivity that you can have with broadband, and and the kind of connectivity that we have in our community, uh, suddenly that allows innovation not just from an office, but from from home. It allows people all over the world to to literally connect on projects. Just a minute ago, we were listening to to folks talk about really collabor- collaborating. Um, within parameters, on on the kinds of developments that um, that you would never have had an opportunity to do uh, in one little community, but by having the ability to connect, you can you can then share ideas, you can share innovation uh, from community to community from country to country, um, and that that allows a degree of innovation and, and development that just was never possible before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on a practical basis. Um, that that means creating jobs it means creating um places in our in our own community for example uh, that you don't necessarily have to show up at an office every day to have incredibly fulfilling incredibly creative uh, work product you can do it from from the comfort of your living room or from the library um, and it also enables the companies that that are are creating those innovations to save money and put it into things like Research and development, you put it into the innovation versus putting it into having commercial floor space in some office building. Uh, it allows people to to work in a much different way, a much more uh, mobile way, and a much more uh, a much more creative and interactive way than was ever possible. Mm-hmm. Do you see a greater level of creativity as one of the
0: byproducts of this? It's sort of like you wake up one day and realize well, now that I can send the video across the world, now that I can uh, manage four or five projects or whatever, is there a greater level of, you know, just creative ideas that seem to pop up? Uh, No,
1: I mean, and I think that that any community um, that doesn't see that opportunity is is at risk of of falling simply behind. Um, The development, and one person described it as, right now the internet is kind of like, uh, we're in the 20s compared to what it will be in the years to come. Uh, the 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 rate at which at which the internet and connectivity is going to impact our lives is going to be tremendous, and it's it's sort of pulling back that curtain and realizing where we're going um, with with being connected. It really is going to be critical to the success of any community um, to have an educated workforce, to have a workforce that understands the importance of connection, and then that connection leading to creative outcomes and and the collaboration that you can only have by sharing ideas. There's just no way for one person or one company to have all the necessary creative capital and creative ideas that lead to the truly innovative we're going to need to do as our world moves forward. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, one of the questions or maybe challenges is you've got a small town that's been fairly isolated from a lot of technology how do you come in one day and say, well, we're going to bring in this network and we're going to maximize it so that it improves our community? How do you get people on
1: board with that? One of the neat things, I think, that, that uh, I've observed anyway is that very early on there was adoption and, and focus on making sure the community was connected. Um, and that came from some of, the, some of the leaders of our telecommunications companies. And those, many of those people have gone out and become sort of the serial entrepreneurs of our community. They've begun uh, being the mentors and the leadership of the next wave of innovation. Um, the that that community desire to to focus around being connected. That was fortunately uh, in our community early on. And, and I what I mentioned a little earlier on, Craig, mm-hmm. in that just one of the natural advantages of of being somewhat isolated from from the rest of the world is there's already. A desire to work together, to band together, to to take care of each other, as it were, and to and then to focus on a common goal, and and that happened in our community very early on. Um, I think maybe we 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 lost our way a little bit in, in in focusing too hard on some of the the primary industries. You know, even as recently as the late 80s and early 90s, and really when those started to to crumble away, our, our our historic shipbuilding tradition. When those things left, it was really only then that that people go right. We have to go back to what what we already started. So that's I mean that's that it's key to go back to those things. It's key to to recognize that we can't repeat the mistakes of the past. We can't on those primary industries. We've got to we've got to very much um, focus on the, on the path forward, and that path forward is is focused around um, innovation, which Collaboration. Mm-hmm.
0: What are maybe a couple of more ideas? You have the gentleman who's working on an app that'll allow communities uh, across the world the, the to to collaborate. You have a couple of other good examples of
1: hometown uh, creativity bubbling up there. Yeah, there's some there's some neat stuff. Uh, let me share one that uh, that we were talking about earlier today too, and it's um, a model called intelligence-led policing. And uh, intelligence-led policing is it's basically a system. Which uh, police officers uh, and citizens can report in to to a central system uh, issues of, of community concerns, so crime issues. Um, if there's a you know a break and enter, or if there's an assault, or if there's some issue going in on the going on in the community, all of that data comes in on a daily basis into a central hub. Um, and what that enables the police force to do is then look at the data and understand where in the community the hotspots for trouble are and then instead of deploying police resources sort of in a random area or throughout the city, those police resources are put into strategic locations where they see those hotspots occur. Um, the outcome of that, the real tangible product of that has been uh, decreasing crime statistics uh, on virtually uh, measurable uh, statistic, whether it's assaults or break-and-enters or or more serious crime, the crime statistics are going down, and, and the benefit of that is um, people, when people feel safer when crime statistics are going down and when, when crime is targeted, people feel safer in the communities, they're more willing to live in those communities, and they're more willing to invest in those communities. And that's all all based on just a, a simple, innovative idea to create, a essentially, a a, a network solution to having uh, having crime dealt with on a daily basis, having real time real time information about what was happening in the community, uh, be addressed. Mm-hmm. It's a
0: question that kind of pops into my mind. Once a public safety group uh, puts an application like this into play, does some of the crime reduction benefit from just
1: the bad guys knowing that this this? You know, there's probably some truth in that. Guys, uh, you know, to a certain degree won't give them too much credit, but to a certain degree they're <laughs> they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be be wise to what's going on. Um but what it what it what I really like about it, um and, and this, this probably comes more from uh, from my, my role as a mayor, um, is that that it means that we can be more efficient in how we're deploying resources. Um Putting patrol cars out and and having uh, boots on the ground is a very expensive solution. Um, if those boots on the ground can be minimized and targeted to specific areas and issues, well, that that does a couple things. It reduces the risk of of officers getting hurt, and we know where the stuff is happening, so we can we can reduce things like overtime, and all of those things are are good for taxpayers. There's, right. There's a whole bunch of wins there. Mm-hmm.
0: Now. Uh for a little bit let's talk about the role of the mayor and elected officials in general um, I just wrote a report where I talked about the need for a champion you know there needs to be some uh, one person who's out there pushing the ball forward sometimes that can be the, the mayor or, or one of the senior elected officials a lot of times in a lot of communities it's some citizen who has just taken the reins and moved with it um, what do you see as the role of the mayor? Should every mayor be the champion? Should the uh, elected officials—I don't know fully on how your your go- local government is, is structured—but have usually a number of elected representatives? You know, how much of this responsibility of moving the ball forward falls on their
1: shoulders, or should fall on their shoulders? That's a great question, and and you know the reality of many uh, of many municipal governments is. Mayor and and then my my role is no different. I work in in a weak mayor system. So um, we have a, a city manager who is really the the ultimate administrator of the city, uh, it has really the the care and control of the city, and the mayor and council are really the political leadership of the city. Um, but that said, um, there is in my mind little doubt unless uh, unless mayors and councils are supportive of. Of moving forward with these kinds of ideas and supportive of making sure that that the communities are looking forward to, to where we're going um, then why would anyone else in the community uh, <laughs> or why should anyone else in the community think to uh, think to look in that direction um, that said it it is clear that no no political leadership, myself or anyone else included, uh, can do the kinds of heavy lifting and create the kind of innovation that need to be done to move our communities forward. Um, we need to be very, um, very open and very, very willing to partner with, with the people that understand and can actually get the stuff done. And I think of our own community, uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Pond, who came out of... Uh, of MBTEL, and is one of these serial entrepreneurs and and uh, angel investors and a, a person who, as as a mayor, I want to support and be behind a hundred percent. I have to have to set the tone for that, and I would hope that my council, I believe my council, would set the tone for that as well. always good, always good. Uh, but you need those people to to um, oftentimes actually get the, the hard work done because uh you as as a mayor your your role is 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 somewhat somewhat different. You have to show leadership on it, but you need to rely really on the community to get things done. And I know that it, it may sound like you're you're shifting uh shifting where the where the responsibility goes, but you the community and the people of the community are responsible for comes. mm mm-hmm.
0: Yesterday, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Bell, our guest, he talked about some of the steps you take to foster innovation. Because innovation is kind of a uh, nebulous term. I mean, it's hard to really define. You know it when you see it. And, but as, a, as an organization that's um, putting money into building a network for which the expectation is that there's going to be some great innovation, whatever it may be, coming from that. <clears throat> How does you know the the elected leadership both set and manage the
1: expectation
0: for you know what kinds of stuff is going to come out? Mm. Well,
1: and and that's a good question because it raises the issue that that many communities uh, face and and the question you know that would get posed I'm I'm sure to me by by some constituents would be well why should we be investing in for example broadband access or a- Wi-Fi points when uh, we 've got potholes in the road that need filling um, we we should take care of those more basic things first before we uh, start putting in more access points and and really, I think that comes down to begin to communicate um, communicate to the public and and communicate through through through, uh, through both the you know whether it 's at the council table or whether it 's out in the community um, that path forward um, and the path forward is what we 're talking about really today, which is the future of of how communities are going to be connected. If we're not connected and we're not innovating, well, we can forget about um, having the potholes filled. We won't have we won't have people living on the streets to begin with. Mm-hmm. We need to have we need to always um, be focused a few yards out on the horizon. That's that's where our focus has to be. Um, do we have to you know make sure that we provide quality of life for sure? Um, can we in that process of providing quality of life Reduce investment in or turn our attention away from the horizon if do that uh, we risk going the way of the dodo bird
0: mm-hmm. now, do you see specific challenges that, that that can get in the way of either the march to get the network in place or trying to create that
1: innovative environment? Probably the, um, and, and I don't think our community is any, any different from, from other places in this way, it's, it's sometimes finding the dollars to make sure that happens and, and making sure that we find the, really the economic resources to create the networks and create the connectivity uh, that's needed and finding the business model that, that allows it to happen. We heard a story today from uh, a California community, uh, Riverside, They've partnered with uh, an e-waste um, firm to uh, allow for for, uh, for free, free Wi-Fi access across their community, and that it's finding those innovative ways that you can work uh, both with both with the public assets you've got and also the private assets. In our community, we've got a ton of fiber in the ground. We've, a lot of it is unused. A lot of the is unused. Finding ways to partner with the companies that have put that in the ground and use that for the benefits of the community well that's 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 our challenge to make sure that we're we're continuing to push uh, push those relationships and push to to find the, the opportunities
0: mm-hmm. and Riverside by the way will be a guest later on today's show and I have actually written about them a number of times in uh, in, in terms of how they created a number of partnerships that are all interwoven that lead to broadband adoption, and in, in this particular case, relationship with the e-waste uh, company allows them to collect and sell everybody's discarded technology, which raises money. But they also get computers from the e-waste company that they then refurbish and give out as part of a broadband adoption program, where they provide training, and then at the end of the training, here is your computer. And they've done that for like 5,000 families over uh, over just a couple of years. And so it's a um and I think you know when I at the lead part of the show, you know I talked about you know using the technology to maximize the talent of your local people, and I think that that represents you know it's like well what do we have as a community right right because I mean it's a small community, it's not necessarily a barren community, you've got all kinds of brain power
1: floating around there, I mean that's that's
0: the what I was my takeaway
1: from reading your ICF application? Absolutely, it, it's it's one of the neat things about about seeing where a community is going, and it's a community that that with even just a, just the physical structure of it um, creates a hub of, of innovation. I think of our, our downtown core, and it's it's a, a fairly densely populated area for for the province, um, and within these old historic buildings most of which were built in the 1880s and 1890s um, are a whole host of of ICT firms that are springing up and innovating and and they rub so shoulders not only on the historic streets but they rub shoulders virtually whether it's whether it's over connecting through the internet connecting uh through social media uh and then in real life just seeing each other at the coffee shop mm-hmm
0: do A little bit of crystal ball gazing here
1: in the last couple of minutes that we have.
0: what kinds of applications do you see coming oh, by the way what 's your population
1: so we 're really a, a small town by uh, by most standards it 's seventy thousand in the city proper and about one hundred and forty thousand in the uh, in the census metropolitan area so it 's a a tiny town by uh, by certainly uh, big city u s standards
0: well. That very well may be, but we have some communities of four and five thousand people, and even less. So when you said a tiny town, I was thinking like, okay, well maybe they have a a couple of hundred, you know, and they're hanging on to the coastline there. But I mean, yeah, that's a fairly that's a fairly good size. Uh, I think we would call that a sized class three, I think, or class four is at that, that population. You're making me feel a lot
1: better, Craig. There you go, there
0: you go, Mister Mayor. You got it going on there. But but no, but seriously, what what kinds of what kinds things you see in the future?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the big opportunities that we have uh, in, in St. John, one of them is in our in our healthcare sector. Um, recently, we uh, we had a medical school locate uh, to our university campus, co-locate next to uh, uh, the university and the hospital, and they're all on the same same footprint of land. And the a lot of the education is done by by virtual connection to uh, a school in Nova Scotia, a neighboring province. So uh, the medical school in St. John is linked virtually with classrooms in Nova Scotia. Uh, that kind of opportunity to have high-level learning uh, is one of the huge opportunities. I can see mm-hmm. that virtual connection, that that ability to have uh, telecom- really high-level teleconferencing the ability to virtually talk with professors uh, hundreds of kilometers away—that um, kind of innovation is there. Um, the other the other kinds of innovations I see are, are are ones coming from a lot of the startup companies. And we talked about this clinic server. Um, um, these clinic server folks and Chris Boudreau, and and what they're doing in providing clinic management software, and then and then looking at how to adopt that not only for for the clinical so for physiotherapists, but also what other professional services can they then begin to work with uh, to adapt their software to you? So I can I see that as another opportunity. Um, those are a couple of ones that spring 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 to the
0: mm-hmm. bat. Now, this is a somewhat of a philosophical question, and it, it takes place in economic development professional circle, which is. Um, you know, in, in at least in the U.S., a lot of the publicity about some of our community networks were the big companies that they would bring in. You know, like, for example, I think it was in Lafayette, Louisiana, and they put in the network, and a call center comes in with 500 jobs. And in another place, it could be 1,000 jobs. So basically it was this whole idea that you bring, you build this broadband network and you bring in large innovative companies. Well, the flip side of that is the philosophy that says, well, your first effort, and maybe your primary effort, is making the current companies that already exist both more competitive and possibly more more innovative. Um, do you have any feelings one way or the other in terms of you know, either do you do one or the other, do you do both in tandem, or do you have some sort of emphasis on
1: one and then the other? One of the things I, I think is important is it's important for um, for our our population and our people to feel like they have a a future in in a small community like Saint John, a place that they can actually long term be and innovate. And so in that way, I, I really like the idea of supporting the local, supporting what what's growing up there. And um, but what I also like the idea. Seeing the seeing the successes that come out of that. Um, recently, we had a, had a company called Radian Six, which is a product of people from John, uh, purchased by one of the one of the largest uh, uh, companies in real in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's the opportunity to see those companies succeed. I I think I think really it's a it's a balance between the two. Uh, you have to support the local. That's where the innovation comes do we want and does our community want to see um, some of the large companies come and locate and support the kind of innovative thinkers that we've got? For sure. Would I love to see a, a satellite Google campus uh, set up say, John? <laughs> You bet. That's the kind of thing. Um, are they going to come without smart people already being there and smart people already creating great ideas? I don't think so. So I think we have to – It's uh, it's the chicken and the egg. I think we've got to make sure our people are – are launching the, uh, launching the products and the innovations that will attract uh, the folks that, uh, that are in those big centers in Silicon Valley and beyond. Mm-hmm. That's
0: interesting. There was a community, I don't know, maybe 30,000, 40,000 uh, people. And I think that what you just touched on, this idea of having created a, a pool of talent, a pool of you know, smart people and so forth to then be part of the draw. So that you're not just drawing people based on the physical infrastructure, but you're drawing them based on the
1: talents that you have. Yeah, that's. Like, I mean, it, it is so talent-driven. I mean, one of the one of the key themes that. We've heard over and over again at this ICF conference, it's really about, uh, in many ways, about education and higher education and, and then allowing people to innovate beyond that. You've got to have the people and you've got to be investing in the people and have the smarts and the brains there. Uh, that's what really drives, that drives the economy and will drive the economy of the future.
0: Mm-hmm. That'll, be, uh, that'll be interesting to see how this all uh this all plays out. One one of the um have you done much in the area of um getting property owners to embed uh fiber technology
1: into their facilities? One of the one of the neat innovations that's happened in, and I'd say um St. John is the, is the first community in Canada to have this. I mentioned earlier about NBTEL and Tel. For, for the listeners that may not know, they were the originators of things like voicemail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first the first company to do that, and and really some of the things the snaps that you see now are really begun with that with that company. <laughs> they have uh, they have connected every community in our in our city, uh, every every home in our city, and every business in our city has the opportunity to be connected to a fiber optic network. Uh, there's fiber optic on every street in our community, so you can be connected to the fastest uh, internet connections possible, um, and it's and it's and it's integrated not only into uh, not only into the internet connections, but also it, there's the ability to to link it into things like smart television systems, mm-hmm. so that your television then becomes really part of the of your your an extension of whether it's your email or whether it's your social media experience or whether it's your uh, ability to 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 um, uh, e- examine um, different different corners of the earth just by searching the web. All that's available and in, 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 in the highest speeds possible because mm-hmm. of of that connection.
0: So, from the sh- the conference so far, what things have you seen that really excite you as a mayor looking at other people's innovations?
1: I guess the 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 one thing that I really have enjoyed is just is that. Is the ideas that have come from all corners. Uh, the number of ideas and the quantity of ideas um, are incredible. And, and some of the some of those ideas include simple things, simple things like just partnering with uh, with other businesses in the community. Uh, some of them include uh, really broad based community consultation processes or or huge reinvestments. Uh, I, I love the uh, love the, the idea from Riverside, the Riverside Renaissance, where they invested. Hugely, in five years, they invested in 30 years' worth of infrastructure. And uh, in St. John, we've started a bit of a a theme called Renaissance City, and it's that same thing of taking what we know is a really good place and and reinvesting in it and looking to the future, and this is one of the key ways to to understand what that future looks like. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you think that um, game applications are going to be A driver of innovation and I bring this up because the um, Robert made the point yesterday about games because a lot of games are built on simulations so you take that basic same ability to simulate a certain situation and figure well where can I apply this to other industries and then we uh, had the presentation from what was Ulu Finland where they're doing all this entertainment stuff where they're just like creating around music and, and video and stuff
1: to happen like instantly. I, I couldn't agree more, Craig. I mean, it, it absolutely is. Uh, it's, it's another another uh, spoke in the wheel of innovation. Having the ability to take uh, take not only just uh, or whether it's uh, internet connections, but also having having game application and really integrating the web into everyday experience. You think of some of the some of the neat things we've talked about and seen today and really it's integrating that experience into every aspect of uh, of life.
0: Excellent. Well, um I'm gonna let you get back to the conference. This has been a really great uh interview. It's been good to look at um another city, another country, to get some different perspective.
1: And Mel, I want to thank you thank for you, being a guest. Look, pleasure. Thank All you. All right, take care. I see another Canadian connection is on the way. So. <laughs>
0: This is true. Canada is well represented here today. And, then, and that leads us into our, uh, our next guest, who is the mayor of Stratford, Ontario, Canada. And um, Dan Mathis, his honor, he is here. And we actually met for a little bit last year. And um, and so welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Craig, for
2: having me on. It's an exciting time to be here in New York at, uh, at Pauli Institute and, of course, at the ICF mm-hmm. uh, Awards Ceremony and Symposium.
0: So I'm going to start a little offbeat because I think last year I think one of the more interesting things I found out was that Justin Bieber, I know I know you probably get it all the time, but he is the 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 child of Stratford who is now you know hope, hopefully you like getting some hometown taxes from that man because <laughs> well, he's
2: a great uh, Stratford success story. Justin,
0: uh, at age 12, of course, and the, and the story is legendary.
2: Had Started busking out front of the Avon Theater, one of our many theaters in the community, and uh, his mother had taped uh, one of his performances, put it on YouTube. It went viral. Uh, ended up with some radio radio executives, Scooter Braun, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. Now he's a top-grossing artist at about uh, fifty-three million dollars last year. Turning uh, seventeen wow. years of age,
0: he's a great uh, great kid. And and he at Stratford in every concert, right? He references. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a bit actually and last year the funny story was he tweeted while we were here and he crashed the ICF website
0: holy Moses so uh, you know we promised we wouldn't do that this year. <laughs> <show. laughs> all right well we won't get a train of, of Justin uh, uh, tweets rolling here but let's talk about um, where you guys are so you were here last year you wanted to top the uh, seven cities then and you're back again so let's so have thing been added on What's, when it comes to broadband, what's what's going on in, in Stratford?
2: Well, Stratford is uniquely positioned. We have a 70-kilometer fiber optic loop uh, covering the whole city, and then overlaying that is a 300-access-point Motorola 802.11n mesh network, so we have uh, ubiquitous coverage over the whole city uh, for Wi-Fi. This year's theme at the ICF is, of course, uh, platforms of innovation. We've developed a strategy around using our fiber assets and our Wi-Fi to become a living lab. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is we've put a call out to major corporations from around the world to come to Stratford to use our Wi-Fi broadband network to try out new products that are meant to either streamline government or enhance the experience for taxpayers within their community for social and economic good. And with that, we've like Anycom, Leonova's TV, Toshiba, Cisco, RIM, uh, to name some table and get involved early on with different ideas and strategies, and what we're looking at are some of the things that they're doing. We'll be able to help them commercialize their ideas, and there'll be a net gain benefit back to our community, either in cost savings or, of course, quality of life.
0: So if you look at, I'm sure there's a lot going on, and we only have 30 minutes, but if you were to highlight you know, one of your major innovations that has come from that broadband effort, um, what would it be?
2: I think the biggest achievement that we've been able to do uh, through our broadband effort right now in the platform of innovation would probably be that we streamlined our healthcare system last year, where all the doctors in our community are on a mobile device of some sort, some tablet, Uh, hospital tests that are done either in there. Uh, office, hospital, or different labs around the city are all wirelessly using our technology on a secure network to send the information back and forth. People now are seamlessly in the medical system in Stratford able to help healthcare between labs and doctors' offices, test results. And I think it's led us to understand that in a rural community, small rural community, we're 32,000 people. We're an hour and a half southwest of Toronto and about uh, roughly three hours northeast of Detroit. And it has allowed us to look in a very strategic way at how we can provide a great, great health care, uh, a high quality to our residents that uh, wouldn't be seen in a community our size normally. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're kind of telling people, you can live anywhere, you can live here, and you don't have to sacrifice some of those basic things.
0: And that's a good thing. And I've, um, <clears throat> I just did a... Uh Uh, a panel on on telemedicine, there is a lot written about telemedicine. I mean, it's a huge universe of applications. What's the, I don't know, two of the big, like, practical outcomes that you see coming from, you know, all this innovation in broadband and telemedicine? Well, what I'm finding is that people
2: in the past have felt disadvantaged. Small communities have been kind of left. To go on their own. But the use of broadband allows people to connect anywhere in the world and do anything they want. So in our community in 2000, we've now taken healthcare and we said, look, you can have the best healthcare that you could expect to get in any large metropolitan area. When we now go and say, okay, we have a digital media university, we can create the content which will be the next wave of digital communication technology right here community. When you see someone like Justin Bieber grow up in a small town and can actually, by using the availability of broadband to broadcast his ability, shows that you can do it. So now we're saying we can compete on the world stage. What we can do in Stratford uh, changes how people look at small communities. You can live in those smaller communities, have the quality of life, the low crime rate, the the tree-lined streets and the great walk around your own community, and not have to sacrifice and say, look, if I want to be that great job that I've always thought, mm-hmm. I have to be in a big center. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're, we're really pushing towards. So when we look at our other innovations, for example, Toshiba, they're trying out their new LED lights that are programmable uh, on our streets. And what happens is, is they use roughly 80% less power than what our existing street lights do. The other thing they do is you can... Uh, Dim them up and down based on ambient light, so You mm-hmm. can actually drive those savings more. They use our Wi-Fi network So they actually take the data and send it right back to the utility company to say what they're using They have a life cycle cost of about 20 to 25 years guaranteed mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you start looking at that savings just in the first two or three years in energy savings We can buy those light bulbs. That's quality of life. They're going to test it out Our residents are going to get the net benefit over time. Mm-hmm. That's a practical application on the other side of the house is Cisco Who's using the new telepresence machine Bradford, to allow our residents to go to any one of our city buildings and they'll be able to use telepresence to get into the clerk's office to get into the mayor's office they'll be able to use this tool that where they don't have to travel downtown and actually go into that office to see somebody they can go through virtual concierge at any number of the city buildings and mm-hmm. it'll allow
0: us to be more accessible to people and far more transparent mm-hmm back a second, back to the telemedicine thing, Um, and we will be be talking about other applications as well, but um, I posed this question at a panel, which was, if you realize some of the um, benefits from telemedicine, you know, improved healthcare delivery, uh, faster emergency response, so forth, is there an economic development impact to that? And I would imagine that as a mayor, you would have, you know, a good perspective on that.
2: Well, there's definitely an economic development impact. One of the things that we find when we do studies is that doctors want to locate communities that allow them to practice medicine in the new. Uh-huh. Uh, graduates of healthcare uh, schools and medicine schools are learning on the greatest equipment. You know, they're not coming to rural communities because, for the most part, they don't have the equipment they've trained. New Doctors, well, you might have had a doctor in the past have 4,000 patients. A new doctor wants that quality of life, and they want 2,000. They want to be able to do medicine differently. They mm-hmm. don't make house calls. They don't do a lot of things. So we're finding that that is an economic development tool. When we, when we taste those, when you go out and speak to corporations and you say, look, I've got an abundance of health care. I can offer you an MRI, a CAT scan. We're a regional cancer center. Our doctors are all connected. We have some available. There's no waiting list in line, and our hospital has undergone a $70 million upgrade for a small rural hospital and it's now one of the state-of-the-art with a C-Star lab. So physicians can be doing an operation in Stratford and have it mentored and watched around the world by specialists uh-huh. who can help them through it. When you tell that to to prospective embo- employers and people who want to make foreign direct investment, they get excited because they see the possibility, they see the quality of life for their, for their uh, employees and they want to
0: actually be in communities that are leading edge. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yes, because I, I I interviewed some folks in uh, small town Danville, Virginia, and that was one of the things they said was that they they linked their clinics, their doctors, and the hospital into basic state-of-the-art technology based or driven by their broadband network, and they use it as a great selling tool to. To relocate or expand. Sure, that, that's just one of the quality of life indicators that people
2: want. And and when I think about it, you know, when we go to Japan, I can tell you we have five Japanese feeder plants to the Toyota assembly plant. That's about thirty minutes from our door. The Japanese never asked me about the cost of land or the cost of taxes. What they asked me about are quality of life indicators. Mm-hmm. The thing that they're doing business on in the world today is what it's going to be like for their corporation. Are they environmentally sustainable in that community? Do they have a commitment? to Kaizen, continuous improvement. Where do they think their position in the world are? What what are the healthcare benefits? What's the education like? And when you actually sell your community based on those, you are far more successful going forward than in the past. Mm -hmm. The day of cheap real estate and low taxes, it's not where it's at anymore. It's about redundant power. It's about access to fiber. It's about quality of life, and it's about the knowledge economy. Mm
0: And that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, let's talk about... How big is Strafter, by the way? 32,000 people. Okay. Um, and you, have pursued, or you are pursuing a, a variety of applications and so forth. Um, how easy was it to get um, all these various stakeholders together on the same page?
2: You know, ICF has been very strategic for us. We've mm-hmm. been able to articulate a vision, and we've been able to point to success stories using the ICF model. Communities from around the world. And when you do that, people then say, okay, it's been validated. It has helped us unite people around a common goal. We've been able to collaborate. We end up sharing a common vision. And when you create it in a group, a collaborative group, it's far more easy to do. And we don't have the mayor's office on it. We don't have the economic development office on it. We don't have the chamber of commerce. Everybody owns it. It's a piece of the whole community. And when you actually put it into layman's terms, whether it's uh, my father who worked in a manufacturing setting his whole career, I have to explain to him what the knowledge economy is for his generation. And when I tell him it's about access fiber, we have a plant in Stratford that makes auto parts. They're linked uh, right to the quality control center of a major automaker. When a part comes off of that line, it has a barcode, and they know whether it meets the quality standards that they're looking for mm-hmm. within micrometers. So you know, they know right away whether it's a good piece of equipment or not because it goes through a computer network and, and gets scanned. The employee that puts needs to know how to program that computer. You know, it's knows how to operate it, and he knows when that part comes off whether he's sending it to a truck we're sending it back as scrap, that's a knowledge worker in the future economy. We used to think of them as a mean job or a labor job. that's actually a knowledge worker
0: mm-hmm. and that is setting of the pace and I would assume that the vision of that I mean, as you explain this to people in terms of how these roles are shifting helps the buy-in as well Oh definitely. You know, we,
2: we've been part of a group in Canada that's looked at a thing called Menial No More. The jobs by 2020, there will be no menial jobs anymore.
1: But No matter what
2: you do in your chosen profession, or where you work, you'll have to have some knowledge of how to operate a piece of technology. And we're starting to see it now. You know, you look, go to a restaurant see a waiter waitress you know they're handing around handheld devices mm-hmm. they're actually putting uh, information right in that goes to the kitchen automatically produces a bill there might be a runner bring the bill you know that job used to be in the past remember when they used to write it down and yep. they go yep. they don't do that anymore that's 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 a knowledge worker in some more they need to know how to program those things we're finding people are adapting technology and standards to either improve efficiency gain productivity Or drive down costs Mm -hmm. and those are
0: the drivers of what are gonna make
2: jobs menial no
0: more right now does that bring up a worry then that on the one hand you have innovation that creates jobs, brings people to a higher level um, uh, you know economically socially and so forth is there a danger that the technology could uh, lose jobs
2: no not really
0: you know I think as jobs change
2: and we've seen it happen where banks are a good example. Sometimes they farm stuff out and they try technology, they realize it's not the latest, greatest thing, and uh-huh. they go back to a hybrid. So it's, it's an evolution piece as it goes along the way. I think what we really have to realize, though, is we have to make sure that social inclusiveness, uh-huh. that no one gets left behind, that uh, people at different socioeconomic levels all have access to the broadband network and also have access to training. And when you do that, everyone together and i think that is probably the biggest thing that happens uh, people say oh technology took away
3: well technology also has the opportunity to help you find a different job if you have access to it and you have
0: knowledge of what it can do for you mm-hmm. so there's an education process that has to happen and uh, like almost a, a some refer to as retooling of the workforce if that's the latest econ development terminology but
2: yeah definitely and i think that The things that I think will work for us much better into the future is that if communities, when they develop these broadband connectivity plans also spend some time developing social inclusiveness plans. Mm -hmm. How are we going to reach people at different socioeconomic levels? How am I going to make sure that seniors who have lived a very productive life and career uh, don't get left behind because they don't know what the next greatest latest thing is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to reach out and kind of for lack of a better word to, uh wrap your arms around everybody and find a way to make everyone part of the team. Mm-hmm. and uh, that I think is the biggest challenge communities have we all know that having you know a rib an apple or something in your com- you know your science major doing something neat and cutting edge but you put people behind mm-hmm. that's where communities develop rifts and shifts that's why they can't collaborate mm-hmm. that's where the vision falls apart mm-hmm.
0: so do you put do you put um programs in place? Do you bring in partners specifically for that task? Uh, how do you ensure that? Well, an interesting thing we have going on in strategy
2: called AvaNova, which is our Technology Professionals Association. Mm-hmm. They've taken it upon themselves to start offering courses for seniors. Digital ah, literacy. Very cool. We've very now cool. got them talking about, uh, in schools, helping low-income families. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're refurbing computers that they get donated from banks and other financial institutions after they're done. And what they're doing is when they're developing these opportunities for them, they're actually using it now mm-hmm. to try to educate people at the other end. So they're taking their skills, and they're doing this in their own personal time mm-hmm. for community good and community and social gain. And mm-hmm. that that says an awful lot about the type of citizens that communities are developing today versus what we would have maybe 10 years ago. Right, definitely, definitely.
0: Now, what do you see as the role of uh, the mayor, first and foremost, but also the other... Elected officials, and to put it in the context, um, I've been writing about you know communities need to have a champion. Often, if you look at stories uh, from Chattanooga and Pulaski, Tennessee, and a number of, of places, there was one person who just became it. wasn't appointed, wasn't elected, wasn't an elected official, but became sort of the embodiment and the driving force for for broadband. Now. The, the mayor and elected officials can take that role, but they, they don't have to. But from to flip it around a little bit, what do you see as the role they should have or maybe most advisable to have? Well, I think it's, it's whatever your community needs. In our
2: case, I believe my is an enabler. Mm -hmm. We we can't be all things to all people. I don't have buckets of money, and I can't make it all happen. But I can enable through collaboration to get corporations to spend their money on social good and uh, broadband connectivity. I can get school uh, officials in the system working together. Mm -hmm. I can help link groups together and I can bring it all together. We need champions at different stages and different uh, facets of this whole piece. So for example, I have a member of council. She's a a librarian at the local high school. She's taken it upon herself to take digital literacy to the next step, preserving our heritage. To Mm -hmm. talk about how we take the artifacts of our community, digitize and get them online and make sure that they're accessible for future generations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have uh, officials at the school board who are doing an online high school making sure that uh, you can go to high school if you want in Stratford and never step foot in a classroom. You can get a high school diploma from grade 9 through and never one step in the school. You can take every course online. And that's because somebody there decided to be a champion. Mm -hmm. We have a president of our hospital, Andrew, who is a great visionary, who said when he was going to redevelop this hospital, I wanted to have the best primary care hospital for a community our size with leading-edge technology. He and Dr. our chief of staff, worked with the family health teams to they were able to do it. And that's a champion in that one. Mm-hmm. So you know what? We have various champions in different sectors. We collaborate and we have enablers. People who do the linkages together and encourage and try to help motivate
0: And do these folks just sort of come together over time? Do you do a sort of a little bit of a recruiting of these champions or
2: I think it's uh cities to stay nimble. I think I don't think I ever you know somebody said to me, Where's that plan that you had on this? I couldn't go to my book study pull out a binder and say, here it is right here, we laid it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Broadly, in 1997, the city of Stratford said we had a plan for 2010 and beyond, and that was to be a community of excellence with worldwide impact. Mm -hmm. We wanted to have digital technology, uh, we wanted to have an ICT sector, and we wanted to make sure that what we did was social inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. All those things have happened, but it wasn't one person that did it. It's because everybody kept that plan in mind and Mm -hmm. did their part to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And people, Ways that they could involve other people and try to link them together, and they found ways to share costs and collaborate. And that's truly what a community does. It's, a, it's an ongoing networking exercise. Some people think there's a light bullet, you know. They think there's that, you know, light switch. Well, we said we were into this. How come it hasn't happened? i had some people <laughs> say that to me. You know, we finished in the top seven, but I haven't factory go up or I didn't, you know, I didn't see a new mm-hmm. bank financial center. You say, look, it's not a light switch. It's a it's a generational change. It's a mindset and it's a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And you need to seize the opportunity to bring people together and collaborate and, and share a common vision. And that's, I think, the ICF model is going to work. 400 communities a year start out on this. Right, right, right. You get to 21, down to 7, you end up with one, ch- one person who is your kind of mentor idol for the year. Mm-hmm. And those communities continue to evolve and they have experiences to share and communities have just got to pull it in and take it back and use it in their own way in the best
0: way they can. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the interesting uh, questions I have been pursuing both yesterday and today is this question of, um, you know, innovation is somewhat nebulous. We can all see it we can all see the results of it, but it's not like saying, you know, we're going to bring a hundred new jobs or we're going to bring a medical center. Uh, is there a way to plan for innovation or is the best you can hope for is to create an environment that is conducive to innovation?
2: I think you have to have a stated end goal where you get to mm-hmm. you have to have a couple of key points along the way that you're going to measure yourself against and head out and you try to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, often when we head down those roads I try to look at best practices from other communities I try to take the best I can out of them and I try to adapt them to what meets the the needs and the thoughts of the people in my community Mm -hmm. and then I have markers along the way that I say okay have I hit that guidepost and if I didn't why did if I did has it uh, made me as successful at this point as I thought I would or if I'm successful in 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 spite of not hitting that marker maybe my plan in the first place was off Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a continuous improvement piece
1: and uh,
2: I think that's one of the greatest things about this. I love sitting down and hearing the experiences of other communities. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from sitting in today, hearing about what the other communities have done and how they've used their assets, whether they're digital assets, community assets, social assets, to make a difference in the lives of their their residents. Often we go to municipal conferences and you talk about the same thing with the same people year after year. Right. And the problems are the same year after year. Mm-hmm. Here, I always find it's an evolution. Mm-hmm. It's you throw out a problem out, and before long, people have solved it, and you have an opportunity to go on to the next challenge. Mm-hmm.
0: So, let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, what kinds of innovations? You've got a town of 30,000, not the smallest, but definitely not the biggest. However, there seems to be a hot bit of activity going on, lots of interest, lots of different things going. What are some of the main innovations that you think may be coming out of Stratford in a year or two? Well,
2: a good example would be Leonova's TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, they,
0: they, here, of course, in Stratford, have
2: a great opportunity. They've been beta testing internet TV for the last month, or sorry, last year. What they've done is they've made this internet TV an opportunity to be a communications tool where it can aggregate data from the community, allow you to display it on your traditional TV they've allowed you to go and get information and they've been evolving this whole piece of technology over some time and Leonovus is a good example where they're going to take an everyday piece of uh, someone's life and become a communications tool. You heard yesterday at the workshop Gordy Campbell, the CEO of Leonovus, saying you know, there's a lot of computing power in a house Mm -hmm. and it needs an aggregator. Mm -hmm. I believe Leonovus is going to prove out that technology, they're going to be an aggregator and in two or three years kind of technology, whether it's them or it's another company, are going to prove that technology. And we'll be able to proudly say Stratford's network of fiber and Wi-Fi actually played a part in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, let me, uh, I, I want to come on to this before we've got about two, three minutes to go. Tell um, us off the fiber. Once upon a time, well, once upon a time, back in 2005, when I pretty much got into this segment of the business. It was because of municipal wireless. And people painted—I don't know about in Canada, but definitely in the U.S.—people painted great canvases of visions around um, municipal Wi-Fi. This was going to solve problems and open opportunities, and so forth and so on. Now, and it didn't. I mean, there were it fizzled for a number of reasons. But what I'm seeing now, both uh, what you're describing and also Chattanooga, is—and uh, are, there are several places that are building aggressive wireless networks on top of the fiber. Do you think that with the introduction of fiber, maybe lower costs, a number of whatever technology issues, that the promises of municipal wireless are more obtainable now than they were in 2005? Well, I think what's happened is, is we've seen smart meters
2: mm-hmm. come, you know, time of use meters for hydro. Mm-hmm. And in the past, we used to have somebody walk around each house, plug in your number, and mm-hmm. that's how you, well, a lot of communities. And in our province of Ontario, and I know in California, <laughs> they're actually going to these meters now that transmit the data. Mm -hmm. So you can do it three ways. You can use a 900 megahertz radio. You can use a cellular chip in every meter. Mm -hmm. and actually make it a Wi-Fi. In our case, we use Wi-Fi. So we're actually using a utility need as the reason to build it Mm -hmm. and base costs covered to do it. And now we're able to layer on top of that. We're Mm -hmm. able to actually monetize that asset and make it useful. And that's what we've done in our case. I think that's why, because people are finding why they're now needing the Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. It's we we had the vision of having Wi-Fi five or six years ago, but now we're actually finding utility use for it. And then now we're catching up to it. The other thing I'd like to say is a lot of people say, oh, we should have free Wi Fi. There's no such thing as free <laughs> Wi Somebody's had to pay for the pipe. Someone's Somewhere. had to put the access points in. It's free it's free for utility as a use. It's actually cost in a capital sense, and mm-hmm. I think people need to realize that. And uh, as time's come down now, we're seeing access points drop in cost, seeing maintenance of networks that are becoming far more robust and costing less to maintain, and that's what's going to make the difference in the future economy. Mm-hmm.
0: So, in uh, conclusion, I know there's so much we can talk about, and I may very well call you again um, uh, to, to talk more as, as things apply. Um What... Advice would you give to a project team that, you know, they're looking at this broadband, there's a, probably a lot of expectations on their shoulders, you know, from the community, and they say, you know, this broadband network is going to be a source of innovation. Now, saying that and delivering are obviously, you know, can be light years apart, attainable, but, you know, but it is a part. So if you had to give, you know, one or maybe two pieces of advice on how to get from here to there, As an innovation tool, not all of a sudden, but as an innovation tool, what would your advice be? First, find a a goal that is uh,
2: not audacious, so small and meaningful in the life of the Mm residents. Two, set a small or short time window to achieve. Three, make it measurable and transparent so people know what you're doing. And four, celebrate the success when it's done. Excellent. I think, you know, and of course, for example for us, we said we were going to put Shiva lights in downtown, we have meters on them, we report regularly how much energy we've saved and what the true cost savings are to the municipality. And people actually go down now and they see it and they go, yeah, I do do see that, that does make sense, that's saving me money and How do I get some of those for my home? Mm -hmm. And that's how you do it. So you can't have these big audacious plans where people, you know, go, well, that's years, I can't wait two years, or "I Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see that. You need to have something measurable and visible. Right.
0: All right? And clear so anyway, I want to thank you, uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Meissen, Meissen. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, and um, it, it's been okay. great. I mean, I, I, words kind of escape me here. I'm just, there's like so much going on, but I want to I want to thank you for, for your time here and all of your ideas and insights, and like I said, we'll be talking again as things go. That's great, Craig,
2: and I really appreciate it. Now, Mayor Jason H- Hu from Tang Chung, uh, Ch- uh, Taiwan, is here, and he is going to jump in here, and I'll tell you, this guy's a firecracker, got lots of ideas. You're going to need an
0: hour, not 30 minutes. All right. That's good. (laughs) Come on, have a seat, sir. Firecracker? (laughs) Explosive? One of those North American expressions. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. know, know, know. How are you today, sir?
4: Okay, a little jet lag, but otherwise okay.
0: That's quite all right. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on my show, and Uh, I look forward to to hearing a lot of your ideas and what's going on. Let's start with maybe just a short description of what your city is doing in the area of broadband, and then we'll dig into the question of innovation. We
4: we are uh, a major city in Taiwan. It's called Taichung, and Chong in Chinese means central. Mm-hmm. So we are at the very center of Taiwan. Allegedly, we're the third largest in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Maybe five years ago, ten years ago. Now we think we're second largest, mm-hmm. next to the capital of Taipei. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. In the north, and we have about 2.7 million people. Whoa. A lot of people, and we are. Twice the size of uh, Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. and about three times bigger in terms of uh, geography. Uh, Three times bigger than Singapore. Um, But we are both an industrial and agricultural society. So, uh, and we have cultural activities, and about um uh, seven or eight years ago, we visioned um this broadband age telecommunication mm-hmm. is to change our life. Okay. So we started working in this section in this direction, uh both the public and the private sectors
0: mm-hmm. about eight, year, eight, nine years ago. Eight or nine years ago, you got yes. to really moving. Okay. It'll pay off
4: now, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here.
0: <laughs> Very true. Very true. So now, what what are some of the innovations that have come from your network over this time?
4: Well, originally it started in uh, really three aspects. First, probably in 2003, uh, local cable TV company came to me and said that they're facing tremendous pressure from the city council mm-hmm. asking to reduce their cable rate as they're making money. Once you make money, the local politicians, councilmen, and all that say oh, they need votes from the people, say so they're going to come out and say reduce the rate, benefit to the people, uh-huh. not to the company, Right. right. you know very anti-capitalistic, democratic. <laughs> and I said to them, I said, if I'm able to persuade these council members to let you keep most of your profit, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. They say, well, maybe what do you want us to do with it? I say, reinvest, fiberglass, broadband, wireless, hotspots, all these things being done in other countries or in the tech or being advocated by the telecommunication company, we must start to do
5: this. Mm
4: -hmm. So about eight years ago, Mm -hmm. they promised me and I talked to the council to let them keep the rate and they keep invest and reinvest and reinvest. And then uh, we talked to the central government as we are a local government. Mm -hmm. Uh, we work on a project which is building an intelligent park which offers cloud engineering data bank services to factories in the industrial park so an i park in mm-hmm. an i park an intelligent <laughs> park in an industrial park okay. And we actually only have about, this is 2005, we actually only have about 90-some companies in the industrial park, precision, machine tours, industry. But more more than 400 companies join our network. They save money, they become more efficient, they're updated. So that's the second part with the help of the central government Mm -hmm. and with their money too. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, the local government, my government, is working very hard to expand uh, broadband fiberglass installment. Mm -hmm. We invest a lot of money. Now we have the longest length of service, I mean about what, 1,700 kilometers Mm -hmm. of broadband cable. that's the longest of any city in Taiwan mm-hmm. so we could uh, we spend a lot of money too. We spent uh, you know more than maybe close to two hundred million u s dollars mm-hmm. over the, over about three, four years, and now people are starting to rent our broadband cable and we're getting paid, and we're moving ahead. so in these three regards, the private cable TV company, the central government in the industrial park. And the city
0: government, who does uh, uh, broadband cable service system.
5: So, mm-hmm.
0: well, in some respects, you could say that some of the innovation was in how you got the government and the private sector to work together.
4: Yeah, not only that, it's that you know, it could easily have happened in any other given city, or even in Taichung, mm-hmm. that uh, the local politicians. Successfully persuaded the city government, the entire council, to force the cable company to reduce their rate, to please the voters. Mm-hmm. What we are seeing today may never happen, you know, from the private sector. Right, right, right. So that was good because I was almost seven years ago, mm-hmm. pioneered the vision and work in that. Direction, and uh, we were the first in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. We might have been the first in many uh, areas in the Far East or in Asia. Uh, we're fortunate. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, yesterday, you, your someone from your group described a uh, a portal application that you have. Is that one of many of your innovations? Is that the first uh, major innovative? That I think was done by our
4: commission of research, research and development, Mm -hmm. which works very hard in this direction. Yet we have uh, many innovations in this regard. uh, uh, Broadly speaking, not confined to economic development Mm -hmm. or technology only. It it goes into government work like crime fighting. Ah, yes. You know, we we are the first city. Uh, this is partly called e-government. I think. Yes. We we partly we uh, we're the first government in in my country to have installed what they call uh, electronic city mm-hmm. surveillance so systems around the border of the city mm-hmm. and make sure that you're well in control of any situation or accidents. Or even crime taking place within the city, that uh-huh. uh, you'd be able to to you know uh, uh, control the situation and find out who did what.
0: Okay, so in in that regard, that crime rate okay. tremendously. Uh-huh. that's actually been a theme throughout. I think this this ICF conference been the ability of the technology to help fight crime, and yes. we heard yes. about it last night. Uh, one of the here today talked about that and um, are there other government services that can expand from that public safety application?
4: Uh, water control, flat, um, you know, and um, we're carefully monitoring rainfall, irrigation, all the and the tax system, as you know. Somebody like it, somebody don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: uh, always the case.
4: We we work hard to find to to uh provide a surveillance system that could read license tax. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. drive a car uh, passing a crossroad in my city and your license tax is picked up. And if it's a stolen car, as you're driving the next uh, uh, traffic light will report where you're going and the people will be waiting for you. Uh-huh. That kind
0: of thing, you know, which you I go. think is, is uh, very helpful. Mm-hmm. From a planning perspective, how easy was it to, um, once you negotiated with the, the private sector and the various government entities, how easy was it from that point to get other people in the community, the businesses, the hospitals, so forth, Behind uh, the broadband project?
4: I actually think the business sector is an ED sector. Uh-huh. People think it's difficult mm-hmm. because if you want them to cooperate, you will want them to uh, contribute money-wise. Mm-hmm. And if they don't see benefit for themselves, why should they be involved? But the fact that we have only 92 factories in one industrial park of precision machinery. We have mm-hmm. two companies, one park, mm-hmm. but not the park. We have an intelligence park, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. In We provide cloud engineering, uh, cloud data services, data bank services, and all that. Now, you know, about 400 companies joined us. I.e., more than three quarters of the users of the park are not factories or companies in the industrial park, they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. Now, why should they join us? Because we've calculated for the first year, the shift efficiency increased 18%. And the, I think, uh, profit that uh, was uh, brought forth uh, amount to, I think, more than a hundred million US dollars. I mean, it's not much. Maybe Maybe uh, uh, you know 150 million or something U.S. a year for all these companies. but for each company making money is good and important. So how do I persuade them? You don't need to persuade them. You just do it. Right. They'll see it quickly. And if it, if you're not successful, why should they be with you? You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm happy to see the trend. I think it's going um, smoothly and successfully.
0: That's good. Now, who, after then, the businesses are getting on board with the broadband? Is it uh, individuals? Is it hospitals? Who's your next big category of subscribers? Uh, The health sector, certainly, uh, that need to be
4: involved. We have a very successful National Health Service, probably one of the best in the world, but it's losing money, mm-hmm. you know, it's not making money. So we have to find a way it's for local government, citywide. We have to find out where we can save more money and provide more services. That mm-hmm. we haven't tried hard because this is mainly a domain of central government, right. federal government. But I think that's where we have to do. Secondly, social welfare, where I think we could... Uh, uh, be more efficient and save some money and manpower by being more quote unquote intelligent. Right. And and uh social welfare can be done better. I think the general problem in my city is that uh, there was a merger of the county and the city last January. I had only I was the mayor before then, mm-hmm. I was re-elected for the bigger Taichung, oh, combining okay. the county and the city. Okay. The county has 1.6 million people. I had only 1.1. 1. 1. So more people are in the county than in the city. Mm-hmm. It's more rural, it's more, more rural. agricultural. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's you know not as urban as the, the downtown area, mm-hmm. the city area. My problem is how to uh, uh, face this problem of disparity. Yeah. You know, as if there's a gap, digital one, uh broadband wise, whatever you say, call it, uh, there's a great gap, disparities in the old city and the county, mm-hmm. and and more people are in, are in the county. And they may not be so well informed about this. And maybe they want the service of the government. But if you try to tell them, but we need to spend money on most of this broadband and uh, wireless network and all that, it it takes time. Mm -hmm. We're setting up um, major, I mean, in here, setting up three more sort of. digital training information center for offering courses for the people even you know senior people Mm -hmm. uh but that as i said at this moment is my main problem Uh, we need to spend more money and move forward if if you know my work my concern concerns the old downtown area it would be much easier we move much quicker Mm -hmm. but mayor cannot do only out of the
0: city. Right. You have to get it all. Yeah. We, I think we in the U.S. have a similar issue with um, faster broadband adoption in many parts of the urban areas. Mm. Um, And it's slower in the rural areas. Right. Costs more. Cost more more in the rural areas. Okay. Because it's harder to get to. Well, I think for us, it's also an issue that we just don't have the infrastructure out there. I mean, we don't have the networks built because there's a small number of people. But the one thing that I do feel is an issue is uh, people's awareness. Oh. Um, and then, and then you have to get past a certain amount of reluctance because people don't know. And it sounds like that's the kind of a situation you have You're in the county.
4: exactly what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. But this is a very important task one cannot um, avoid, you know. You just have to do it and to do it well. Right. You cannot just do only the urban areas and forget forget about the. And you know, when you talk about the disparity, uh, you're not talking about more people in the rural area. Right. I have more people in the rural area. They are 60% of my population, mm-hmm. if not 65. Wow. So that. You know, in a sense, more important mm-hmm. than the urban area. If I don't do not do it well, my uh, GPA, the grade point average, will be lower. Right. All okay. the statistics are, are are now moving forward, but going backward. Because of, I am now 15 times larger than when I was before mm-hmm. a year ago.
0: So what... Um Advice would you give to other communities? You 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 started with um, breaking down barriers between the elected officials and the private service providers. Right. got uh, that and then put the technology in place. Businesses saw it and businesses have come to the the, the table. And then you have gone and you talked about your other progressions. Uh, what are the two or three biggest I don't know, things that you could advise others to consider or to actually do? Well,
4: I actually think when I talked to the uh, city council members, I was doing something, I think, which was not easy. A general political rule has it uh, that people need to vote. They will reduce rate. And I persuaded them to support my idea of not reducing rate but let them reinvest. Mm-hmm. And the council member agreed. But to that, I'm very grateful. Right. Right. That, I think, it's it, uh, it, not just bringing the uh, politician and the private sector together, but to change a general democratic uh, popular thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, wish, I think it's the basis of the success. I'm here mm-hmm. right, uh, today. But what would I say to other people? About the future, uh, from my I think I've made the right decision. Mm-hmm. This is one that, uh, uh, you know, uh, broadband communication and all these intelligence, uh, quote-unquote, all the issues uh, concerned are not part of the challenge. They're the ultimate destiny, common destiny of human beings, of all cities. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're far behind. Right. You know, it's yeah. not whether you do it or not, it's when, how, you know, you take it. That's mm-hmm. number one. But if I am allowed to talk about the future, i like to say something I think many people have not thought about. I think we have to tie what we're doing at this end with uh, the concern about our world in terms of sustainable development. I think we should think more about low carbon, uh, sustainable development, green earth, and bring the two issues together. Yet, all these uh, efforts bring a city more updated in terms of uh, modern day mobility, telecommunication, and all that is important and vital to the economic development, to the social awareness of my city, of any But can we bring these two big subjects much closer together and become almost inseparable, i.e., all these broadband, wireless hotspot efforts, can we
0: link it closer to the environmental issue.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, it seems that to be able to do this, somebody has to be the visionary, and then after being the visionary, they also have to be the champion. They have to go out and they have to, uh, as, as my daddy would say, preach the gospel. Yeah. You know, go out and really get the, 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 the communities really to understand and get behind it. Which I would think is a is, is a big challenge because the average person on the street sees technology, but they don't know what technology means, you know. And maybe sometimes the visions are a little too far ahead of them. I don't know. Um, how, how do you deal with the you know the average citizen on the street? How do you get them to understand that a vision of broadband innovation is a good thing? I, I think
4: uh, it may not be too difficult. To try to make them understand broadband is a good thing, because everybody is going into uh, iPad uh, 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 computer notebooks, uh, mobile phones,
1: mm-hmm. you know
4: everybody's into it uh, the younger generation network, right you know YouTube, everything uh, Yahoo. What I'm concerned, Mo is that we seem to have two major types. Of of social development. One is this broadband and the other one, like I said, is sustainable development. And we're all preaching in different uh, arenas. If you're asking me how to put two together and bring them closer, I think it's important. I just say, I think uh, broadband and all this is a policy option. It's not whether you do it or not. The ultimate common destiny. Oh. What about sustainable development? Isn't that exactly the same thing?
0: Right. How do you keep people growing and how do you keep communities growing and alive right. for the long term? Right. You're growing with speed and space, uh in terms
4: of um, broadband and all that. But on the other hand, you need the earth. Right. Uh, otherwise, all the growth means nothing. But I was just trying to say, I see these two main sort of topics or issues or or whatever still are not closely intertwined. Right. And and that's my worry. Uh, you want to preach, um, you know, preach the gospel and all that. I think. <laughs>
0: become part of the, That's the, the what you're message. doing today. That's what I'm doing today. Yeah. That's right. Out here preaching the gospel. And and, uh, and that's what we should all be doing. <laughs> I think that it's a, um, one of the challenges is keeping everybody in the same message. Because I know that when you, when we talk about broadband, we sometimes talk about it can do all of these things. And then once you start talking about business and health and economic development and so forth, then the messages start to get diluted for the person in the street, for the average person. And somewhere there is, I think, a challenge to create a message that everybody buys into. Someone's got to create the, the common song, if you will, or the common gospel, I guess. If you, um, This has been very, very helpful. Any, any words of advice here in our last two minutes? Oh, I, I'll, I'll take
4: whatever it is. People give me. I don't
0: give (laughs) any (laughs) money. Want to be? Yes. Well, this seems to be a very good um, venue, you know, where people are exchanging a lot of ideas, which I think is a big plus of governments because governments do um, do share a lot, and that works that works well for us.
4: Yes. Yes. I I have never been to the conference or the forum. Uh, first time I've been to New York, but I, right, didn't, right. <laughs> and I think it's a very good thing to do, mm-hmm. and I will try to, uh, if not myself, but the city keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope more and more people can see the light, right? Exactly, yeah. and 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 uh, join the rank, so we could all do what we need to do, mm-hmm. and uh, like you said, people can be aware of
0: what what's so important in this uh,
4: area. Right, indeed.
0: I envision that I will be coming back to talk to you again as things uh, progress. Thank you. Oh, I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Greg. All right. Have a great day and a great rest of the conference. Right. All righty. I'm sure of that. that. All right. That was a very good, uh, you know, overview. I think, you know, I've made this point before, is that, um, you know, in, in the U.S., I think we can get insular in our... In our thinking and and it really is helpful to look beyond our shores to be able to um, come up with ideas and cross-pollinate ideas and uh, and be able to um, collectively come up with solutions and innovations because again as I've mentioned throughout these interviews yesterday and today innovation is a broad topic and has many parts and we somehow Get handled on it, and often it's better that collectively we do it all on our own. So I'm going to transition now and come back a little closer to home, like quite literally. Uh, I'm from California, as many of you know, and so uh, one of the top seven is a California city, Riverside, California. And for those who've been on the show, you know that Riverside has been both um, on my show and also the topic of many of my. Writings because of the innovative stuff that they're doing. So I am extremely happy to have uh, the mayor Mayor uh, Loveridge of um, Riverside as well as Steve Reniker, back again CIO of Riverside and gentlemen both of you Thank you very much for being here and let's uh, You know get close to the mic and let's talk about what's going on in 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 Riverside so I'll start uh, Mr. Mayor with you you we're here last um you have been doing a lot of stuff in broadband for a number of years what's what's big what's what's happening now in terms of innovation what's new coming out of of riverside
6: well you know it's one of the one of the interesting things about broadband and uh technology is that uh, every day it seems that it's a major it is not a static thing it is uh it is moving to very, very quickly. I mean, we've um, just listened to a little bit uh, yesterday about um, in our K-12, to K to uh, one of our two school districts, and how important digital is there, and they've moved from uh, from books uh, to, uh, to using uh, essentially uh, iPods. And uh, I was at uh, an elementary school visiting last week and uh, watched the kind of delight that these uh, Students had, uh, and, and there were sort of game playing, but they were game playing for for numbers or game playing for concepts, uh, and it was interesting to see the that this digital thing is uh, becoming a, a, a centerpiece now of education in Riverside. Um, I suspect that what uh, I saw. And, uh, and that uh, after-school class is being repeated uh, throughout the district and will be repeated throughout the
0: country. Mm-hmm. So let me jump on with both feet the the, the high school example because this has um, intrigued me greatly. I've watched the video. You know, you guys did the, the, the presented the video earlier this morning, which, by the way, kudos on a, on a very quick adopt and perform. I was telling Steve that I was I was very amazed by that cause I had a band director when I was at UC Berkeley and he was always you know if something went wrong adapt and perform adapt and perform so you guys have done that but I think in broadband is probably a good you know good example as well you guys seem to have adapted or the school district has adapted the technology to help students perform better and I think our audience needs to know more about that. What
6: what <laughs> one of the problems is used to see school districts there is a discussion of here you lived in a neighborhood you went to a school didn't like what was going on in school it's too bad you lived in the neighborhood now there's immense choices for uh, for parents where their kids go to school which is put a uh, the uh, got pressure on on to not simply not simply, uh, not simply uh, perform but to try to look for innovation to, uh, to ways that they can be distinctive and uh, uh Riverside unified is one which has tried to build a, a kind of reputation of choice out of uh out of the new uh, the new technology mm mm-hmm.
0: so let's talk particulars though i mean you guys have some interesting redefinition of learning that, that's happened i mean that's how i view it uh maybe i'm putting too grand a picture on it but no. Well, it, 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 but one one of this kind of concept, which is just
6: interesting, is you used to go to class and you, when the class is over, you went home or you went to the next class. The idea with, your, with the digital kind of connection is that uh, you're not limited to the period of the class. It can be after class. It can be on weekends. Uh, that is, uh, there's a, there's invitation for the student to take much more control of, uh, of, of their performance, that it, it, is, it, is, it, it is being less teacher-based and more student-based. Mm-hmm.
0: That is actually something that um, I had a conversation with several months ago with someone who said the same thing about the technology in the workforce, because in essence, it takes away the walls, for better or worse. I mean, there are some definite downsides to that, but they sort of open up how we can work with others that so you don't have to be in the office to collaborate, you can collaborate with twenty five people in two different parts of the hemisphere, yeah. so basically it sounds like you have taken that idea and it's now being applied in, in the in the classroom' you might be confined by the classroom wall when we can unite our kids with the universe that's right. Steve, have you been directly involved in that? I have, in fact, I graduated
3: at Ramona High School. So <laughs> I'm proud to say that you know Dr. Rick Miller of Riverside Unified, he's rolled out uh, Android tablets mm-hmm. to, to every student at Ramona High School. And uh, they've had them now over a year, so they finished their first year, uh, first all-electronic high school in, in California, third in the United States. And they've, they've gotten some very interesting uh, feedback. You know, some of the feedback they've gotten is uh, average algebra scores compared to traditional methods of teaching, thirty mm-hmm. percent higher than they were last. Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the test scores for Riverside. We try to. Uh, that, that's
6: actually going to be the the issue now. Is that with the new with this technology, what difference does it make to the uh, test scores in which we judge uh, judge uh, schools by? And um, we'll see. I mean, it's interesting. You know, we don't know yet.
0: Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. know yet. I think that's okay. You know, I mean, we're we're going on a journey, and we're not sure exactly where the end point is, but it's going to be interesting, and I think early signs are it's going to be productive. And we're not going to go back.
6: I think that's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is not the, the, the traditional form, I think, of the teacher. And part of that was, you know, the ability of parents to be able to to follow what it is that their kid is up to rather than asking, how's it going? He's fine. And uh, the parents have access to that record Mm -hmm. uh, as well as, as obviously, the the
0: kid. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, um, you know, as I have read articles, you know, when people start talking about the state of education and and so forth, um, often the comments, even the comments to articles in, in the media, on the web, when you look at the comments underneath, you see a lot of comments along the line of, if the parents aren't involved there's problems yeah. and I mean is that pretty much the heart of the, the in essence this transformation is that let's go to the issue of the parents involvement
6: well particularly in Southern California, which is now majority uh, Hispanic mm-hmm. if you look at the schools they're uh, increasingly majority hispanic uh, the, the the real quest is how to involve the uh, the parents in both understanding and participating in the education and uh, it's one of the well, I mean, I've been a great champion of the lighted schoolhouse. That, they, that they, you've got to see a school beyond a uh, nine beyond a student. It needs to be teacher, student, parent, non and whoever else might have an interest in what goes on. Huh? Mm-hmm.
0: So, how easy was it to get the education administration and the rank of the teachers? On board with this concept because if you listen to conventional wisdom, especially emanates from DC, you know, the the teacher role is somewhat sacred, and the union, you know, how they do what they do is somewhat structured.
6: This doesn't change teacher salaries, doesn't change teacher hours, doesn't change teacher pensions. I mean, in uh, some sense, that for a teacher, at least looking at the contract, the contract remains the same. Mm-hmm.
3: But Dr. Rick Miller, he took an interesting approach to it. He's not forcing it on the schools. Right. He's letting it, he's rolling them out based on teacher acceptance. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is he's actually had some schools that aren't fully digital yet. And and so what's happening is the classroom have digital in it, the parents are putting a lot of pressures on the teachers, mm-hmm. saying why don't you have digital? My students excelling in all the classes in the digital technology They're in your class. We don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so peer pressure is really transforming the way the teachers do their, their, their lecturing and their score.
6: In the, in the old PC time where they access the kids had to computers was primarily the, the, the lab, you know, go to a fixed computer and sit down. And, and it was really puzzling to me is the libraries at the high schools all closed at three o'clock, and mm. you the reason they closed at three o'clock was is because they had a contract with librarians is so that they could work at three o'clock, mm-hmm. and so the hour of homework, the hour of, of access to kids who have changed that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it was just illustration of the of the the contract, I thought, just uh, not re- reflecting what you know, the the realities of how you you, you need to succeed in in,
0: in, in school. Mm-hmm. It might be helpful. See, I've I've sat and I've watched you know these two days and and you know and, and Steve, you and I have talked before, but it might be helpful to just explain some of the features of this new uh, approach and where broadband fits in.
3: So the, each of the students at the beginning of the year, they're they're. In. A, a tablet device. So mm-hmm. it's not that they check it back in at the end of the school day; uh, it's with them for the entire year. So the last day of school, they turn it back in again. So the important part about it is uh, there are no more books. All the books are on the device, uh, so it makes it very easy to assess them. And from the uh, the the, the kid's standpoint, it's fun. Yeah, it's it's enticing. They they, they embrace it. And the, like the mayor had said, is you know out. Library hour after three they're in the car they're on a football field they're somewhere else, but they're able to take with them they're able to make productive use out of it they're able to do their homework uh at any time of the day and evening in this of this after
6: school class I went to that, that they i guess when you get a correct answer you get a certain a positive mm-hmm. mention or so mm-hmm. forth and they knew exactly how many i one kid said, I have 3,685, another girl said, she has 3, <laughs> 3,150, I mean they knew exactly, and there were just, it was an internal composition, but they also obviously knew where their colleagues or their mm-hmm. classmates were, and uh, uh, another way of using competition by getting a good
3: mark uh, mm-hmm. to, to accelerate learning. Mm-hmm. But the important part is the parent at home now has a access to a dashboard, oh, mm-hmm. a ride, yeah. and, and and this digital dashboard tells them did they show up at school today, turned in all their homework assignments, and by the way, their average GPA at any given time. So now the parent can help manage the child uh, in case there's any issues or problems or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The
0: um, in some respects, is this not really taking advantage of Facebook and social media, like the ability to have, well, be a like, I mean, if you have a, if you have a Facebook page, you get so many likes and if you're a student, you know, or of the teenage, you know, age bracket, you know, you probably have a, you know, 2000 friends and, and 50,000 likes, you have basically taken that same concept and then a lot of applied it to, you know, bonuses or, yeah. or likes for doing well in school. Yeah which in some places is not a cool thing to do. I mean, that's part of the, the struggle of education, is that in some suit in some teenage circles, being a good student is not popular. Right. So have you made it now popular? <laughs> <laughs> I think we
6: have. That's just really, well, part of the question of popularity is how visible it is. Mm-hmm. So if it's between you and the computer, you don't have to tell your, the person you walk to school with. That's, that's true. It's personal. It's personal.
0: Right. right. Lives, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, so where does this go then? From from you've you've, you've number one. When did this start? Because uh, like the, the program,
3: like, whatever well, last it was in the last year and a half, right? Yeah, uh, three years ago they actually started middle schools getting them all netbooks, and they've contracted to Smart Riverside that rolls out digital inclusion to low-income families to actually provide yeah. their broadband support. And so since that period of time, because of our uh, relationship mayor with uh, Smart Riverside they've been grants and these grants have been able to fund over 12,500 devices for the schools.
6: Hmm. Yep. Part of our digital inclusion of say, say you have 80,000 uh, uh, households in Riverside to have uh, 5,000 of those receive uh, computers with training is really quite quite, quite remarkable.
0: Hmm. So where do you go though next? I mean let's, so we've got the baseline established we got a program in in motion. What's you know what what will we see, or what do you expect to see in a year or two? Well,
6: I I think the big thing uh, I don't think there's turning back the education thing will be the test scores. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, uh, if the test scores increase even modestly, I think you declare it a success. If the test scores don't change, you have control groups and there don't see any difference, then you got to ask, what else do we? What else is going on? What mm-hmm. else do we need to do? But I was mean, just reflecting. We know when television first came out, I think people saw it as a great educational tool. Be introducing you. Well, that clearly did not work. I saw, <laughs> I saw one t- one major study they did of the test scores and television. and no matter how much or how, how little you watch television, there was a direct relationship. More you watch television, the lower your test scores. By by uh, sex, by a socioeconomic status, by ethnicity. Uh, by urban suburb, there was every major category you looked at. Watching television decreased your test scores, and I think one of the questions now is: this process certainly seems that it will increase the test scores,
0: mm-hmm. and that is that is the struggle, you know. But but also, does it does it move us beyond just the test scores? Because one of the criticisms about you know, no child left behind, and a number of these things. It gets everybody geared to taking a test and passing a test and how they rank in the test. But if you have now removed the walls to education, you can still focus on the test. But haven't you also getting, aren't you getting kids to and parents to move beyond the test? Yeah, well, one, counts.
6: Yeah. Well, one of the one of the difficulties is people judge schools and where they're going to live by what the test scores are. Ah. So yeah. Okay. And, and if uh, for our city that uh, we are competing for middle class parents. and So test scores become important. But it, 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 as Steve Reneker pointed out, we we had this other major effort going on, which you call completion counts. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a it's a Gates grant. Uh, four cities are involved. New York, uh, river, uh, San Francisco, Mesa, Riverside. The objective is to increase post-secondary uh, education. And uh, the problem, particularly for Riverside students, was having them complete it—not simply start some kind of post-secondary work, actually complete it, and meaning uh, going right, when, okay, when she but college, by finishing, right. finishing, right, 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 or right. community college, <laughs> or, or, or even a major post-secondary credential. Uh, and, uh, too many began, and uh, too few—well, uh, not enough began, but of uh, those who began, too few. And we're trying to—we've uh, set goals for ourselves, and we're in one example an example in Riverside, which I think will be, I think we're going to become a model for the state of California, is that for high school students, if they get certain kind of um, scores, they will can sign a contract with the community college in, in their, our two city districts. Uh, we'll guarantee them uh, access to courses and be able to finish in two years, mm-hmm. uh, which is, at least in California, a big deal.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> Now, will the technology play a role in, in uh, completion counts, or is it just more that, you know, it, it'll have its effect on the overall education process? We'll hopefully get them smarter getting through, co- through high school.
6: Well, they're using partly technology to, to give information. I mean, there's the, uh, they have a 311 uh, effort, which they've been loading.
3: I've gone on. Gone on. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you tell them, what does it look like? So it looks great. So it gives students. To find out what opportunities exist out there, mm-hmm. how you qualify for the program, um, and how to get into these programs. Okay, and and so I'll, I'll individuals, for example, we have in uh, Smart, we have uh, some individuals there that came in through gang intervention programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Work to get their GED. We trained them in the A plus certification, but in order for them to stay in our Smart Riverside program, we require that they stay enrolled into college. So Mm -hmm. they've used this College 311. They found out how can I qualify to get in these courses? Uh, What is it going to take? And so, information that in the past was very difficult to get access to because I might have had to go down to the school, might have had to set up a time with a counselor to try to explain it to them. Uh, Now we've got these portals up there, as the mayor alluded to. Uh, This college 311 system that they're able to answer all those questions for them online. Mm -hmm.
6: If your parents have gone to school, it's no big deal. But uh, for many of our students now, their parents have not gone on to college. Many of them are the first time generation, so uh, they don't have the, the, the 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 kind of context of a parent how to, to do all this. I mean, when I went to college, both my mother and father went to college. I, I mean, there's some I expect to do, where it's the information there. Um, but uh, new technology is being used to help provide information to uh, students and uh, students and parents. We call this completion counts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to, I mean, what we're doing is obviously models that other cities and other, other districts uh, Likely, uh, likely fall. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's actually talk about this for a second. Um, how do you create some sort of template, for lack of a better word, to continue this kind of innovation in other communities? Because we've had, you know, the various mayors have come in today and talked about their their many programs. You yeah. know, all good. You're the first one to talk about a you know being a model in terms of. This For the for the rest of the state, how do you how do you create a model that works? I don't know if you well, that's one that's one
6: of the things that the Gates grants want to do is to have this uh, not simply uh, the money ran out they have the program in, but so. This is a combination again of the city, of the chamber of commerce, of the community college, and the two school districts. But the community colleges worked out a program. So when the, the after three years, uh, it's a million grand three million dollar grant, a million dollars a year. After the after money's ended, the program will continue. Mm-hmm. And I again, I think uh, if you if you accept the general judgment that it is talent that makes the the world go around now and makes it's what Talent dividend is what cities uh, are looking at. Uh, cities are going to be asking the question: How do we? And not not Austin, Texas, which they have seventy percent of their number have, have uh, college degrees. Well, mm-hmm. it's pretty high, right? Uh, right. But I think as uh, as other cities aspire to increase that number, you're going to be looking around for successful strategies, successful models.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're packaging up your successful models.
6: Yes. Ready to go on the road, I
0: think.
6: <laughs> No, well, it's one of the, uh, I mean, in I, w- w- part of what you do in this business, it's elected office, you look for best practices. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I and it's not a digital thing, but you look, you just kind of scan around, and you listen and say, aha. And then you come back and tell Steve, I heard about this again, what do you think? And so you, mm-hmm. much, if I think Riverside uh, any number of kind of best practices. If you asked where they came from. About
7: mm-hmm.
6: many of them right. came from visiting other places. You <laughs> say, Aha! That looks good. Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, uh, he, the, the world's a laboratory, and you need to see. I mean, you don't have to you know, create a this, uh, case study mm-hmm. for yourself. You can see how see how others or have created a case study. Right. right. So you have, a, you have a larger end mm-hmm. to, that you're looking at
0: um I, I think a very positive uh aspect and to me it has been one of the things that sets apart the government sector from industry because industry people, you know, will not talk to each other. I mean they will fire you for talking about, you know, how they did what they did to other 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 companies who may or may not be competitors. In the government space, it's just the opposite. Folks folks sure. collaborate.
6: Yeah, we just sent out uh, to every mayor and city manager in California our, our booklets of the twenty-five. It sends out twenty-five. Mm-hmm. So here's what we best things we do. See if you might be interested in these.
0: That's it. Now, is that just for the technology, or for just the city you know, it's, uh, management no, over it's overall, including several several technology and innovation? with the city overall. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Now, I, I I know some folks have heard about uh the digital program that you guys have done and in fact i explained the um the, the relationship with you and the uh e-waste company uh for the mayor of um st john who, who, who led off our day and but just give us a little bit more detail of how that program works because it's a pretty good soup to nuts kind of a
6: you know, let me just give by way of uh, preference. A lot of people talk about digital, and they want to encourage uh, greater and greater access and greater availability and greater use, but it tends to be launch rather than operation. And so, what we have, and Steve has been the, uh, the, many uh, the, ways, the genius. We've created a program, one where it's real. What how many? Fifty-four hundred. Fifty-five hundred meters, uh, and there is not you know, given out. There is right. support for it, mm-hmm. and then there's a free Wi-Fi for them to to use. I, I, uh, that's sort of matching your rhetoric or your language and operationalizing it and producing a program that has real results. Mm-hmm. But, Steve, how do we do it? Well. <laughs> <laughs>
3: A lot of uh, sweat and tears—that's that's for sure. But, no doubt. Uh, uh, it really, the key behind it is was a, uh, a gang intervention program between the county and the city called Project. Uh-huh. And we're able to get these youth that, that have aptitude skills for technology, and uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we uh, we teach them A+ certification. They learn how to uh, refurbish PCs. We also uh, have taught them how to sort e-waste. Uh, so. We are not just a collector of e-waste. We mine e-waste. We actually separate the plastics, the metals, uh, the copper, and the the, the components on the inside to maximize revenue, and that's how we self-sustain the program. So that means uh, through partner schools, our schools actually provide the training, and the reason they provide the training at no cost to our city residents is because Smart Riverside has donated refurbished computers to labs for our schools.
1: So during the day, the
3: schools have... Uh, refurbished PCs that they use. And then at nighttime, the certified instructors can teach the class. And then our Smart Riverside team makes sure that when families graduate from the class, they're given this refurbished computer that's got Microsoft Office software on it. Because when you're a nonprofit, you qualify to become a Microsoft authorized refurbisher, meaning you get the licenses as low as $6 each. And then we also provide a wireless access device so that access to our free Wi-Fi with uh, up to 1 meg, mm-hmm. uh, that works very well for them. Would this program work, Steve, if you didn't have free Wi-Fi? It wouldn't work as well. Um, certainly, a lot of communities out there struggle because they don't have free broadband options, mm-hmm. and you got to try to find a low broadband solution. But I think because of the economic conditions of our city, uh, anybody that qualifies for a program has to make 45000 or less. And a lot of those families had a lot of struggles this year, and being able to give them something at no cost uh, was huge for them.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and It was always referred to uh, computers or at least access to something as the as a, as a great equalizer. That mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you really are set back. Uh, you set back because you don't have information. And, uh, and so what this has done is it, it's a major help to people who otherwise wouldn't have access to to uh to information mm-hmm.
0: this uh is definitely you know a strong effort in 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 many respects what's what's the um what's the next step i mean in general you know like we, you know innovation has been a an ongoing theme of conference but you know and so I'm asking everybody you know what's world. down the road there as far as innovation.
3: Your, your first answer to that, Steve? Well, I, the first thing is uh, commercialization.
0: Uh, you know. Oh, yes, that's right.
3: I did want to talk about that. A close partnership with our university. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city has collaborated with the private sector to uh, initiate and incubate uh, new companies inside our city. And I, and I think that's new. We've got the uh, Innovation Economy Hub, which is uh, about around a 240-acre zone inside the city that has... Basically defined itself as all the companies necessary to commercialize a product, mm-hmm. whether it's molding company, whether it's a manufacturing facility, whether it's a service organization, um, and we we've got the the, the wherewithal to uh, um, incubate these owners and startup companies. In a local
6: One idea that I came away with this morning, and I'm still. Having I mean, to Steve uh, has to be a check on it, but we have a lot of uh, general plan stuff. We have a lot of elements to general plan, and uh, somehow to have a digital plan for the city—not not not simply city operation, but across the community—I think is something that we ought to consider. And, uh, uh, and so I'm, 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 I I want to try to raise this when I go back to mm-hmm. Riverside: is that you you have an air quality element, and you have uh, you, have, you have a transportation element and you have, you have housing elements. You have, uh, you have like 12 different elements. I think uh, one of the elements needs to be a kind of digital element. Uh, so if, we're going to, uh, if, uh, if we're going to be a, a successful and distinctive city in the future, let's, let's do this well. So anyway, that's... Take it back, put it on the agenda, and see where...
0: Then there you go. And that's basically how a lot gets done as far as, you know, mining these. I assume, you know, is coming back and uh, having folks who are um, are willing to pick up the charge. Now, one thing I want to ask about, because it seems like this is sort of a, I guess what I would call sort of an undercurrent. In uh, When I go to Chattanooga, I've been down to Riverside, um there is a there seems to be a feeling among government workers and and staff and executives and elected officials almost across the board there is a very positive spirit toward innovation and new ideas, right? Because you have on the national stage lots of criticisms, lots of bashing of government workers. But what I find to be the case in communities such as yours is a spirit, is a, is a, is a spirit among the government sector, the local government sector, is that true? Number one, and my observation is correct, but more importantly, how do you how do you get that? Because I think there are a lot of communities, a lot of cities that would love to have that kind of spirit among its government workforce.
6: Well, one of the things of local government, we're not quite uh, convulsed by the kind of partisanship and great divide you find in mm-hmm. the state and uh, mm-hmm. the federal level, and uh, much of what takes place at the local level is much more pragmatic than it is ideological, because you have certain outcomes you're looking for, and you sort of share those, uh, you want a safe city, you want a good education, you want good health care, good neighborhoods, are mm-hmm. not ideological that Ideological uh, issues. The other, I think, the the assets that uh, Riverside has, and many cities have it, is you just look around and ask, what what are your major assets? Mm-hmm. you they, they are your universities. Uh, really, their trademark really is innovation.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And I I think we are helped at Riverside by having you know sixty thousand students taking coursework and. And the, and the role that the universities play. Mm-hmm.
0: Last question. I'll let you guys go. Um, are you specifically, um, as as part of your overall plan, harnessing those students or the the general creativity and innovation of the student body? Do you have some mechanism for tapping into that to help either plan or execute your various? projects?
3: The answer is yes. You know, and, and it kind of it goes twofold. I mean, one of the the mayor has done is the mayor is an expert at collaboration. Mm-hmm. We have more groups together that communicate with all levels of business. He, he's got task force with our higher and K through 12. He's got um, groups such as our CEO forum where we have CEOs of high tech companies in Riverside that collaborate and provide feedback to the mayor through Smart Riverside. So our nonprofit Smart Riverside it's chaired by our mayor. Uh, I happen to be the ex. The a director that, that executes on it and so these students out there that that are in Riverside um, all because of that level of collaboration are using the technology in their schools mm-hmm. they're going on a higher education and those at our University California Riverside um, now have these great ideas and we've got companies through the private sector that are taking them and incubating their thoughts and ideas And we've got groups of people to help determine how to create business plans, how to patent a thought or an idea, and Mm -hmm. how to commercialize your product. So the whole goal there is we're creating, the mayor has created an environment where these students now will have jobs locally, and they're going to want to stay in the other I guess
6: unless you connect with young people, you're not connecting with the technology future.
0: That makes sense. Well, again, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for coming back one more time. And I will definitely stay in touch with Riverside well, and all the here. stuff that's going on there. So, gentlemen, come on around. We've uh, we're ready to top off our show. It's been a really great uh, information exchange here, for which I am very pleased and very thankful for all of these mayors that have given up their a little bit of their time and. Stepping out of the conference to kind of give you, the listener, an idea of what's been happening here at the uh, ICF uh, event, I uh, want to now conclude our show with our last guests, who are from Quebec. So we're going back north of the border one more time here. Um, I uh, I took German in high school, but but I'm going to try not to. To to abuse your name, <laughs> but it's Regis uh, Labome. <laughs> La, La Labome. Labome. Okay, this is why uh, I don't speak in a Anyway, I'm sorry, but and welcome, come the
8: We man. do it in French.
7: <laughs>
8: <laughs> so he's Aisha doing.
7: Ah, it's hard to crane.
0: Very good. Ah, and welcome both of you for uh, you know for spending time with us and given us some more uh, thoughts and insights on, on innovation. So let's talk about what's going on in, in uh, Quebec. This is your, I guess, first time at the ICF in, the, in top seven. Yeah. So that means you're doing some kind of great innovation. Let's, let's have it here. What are you guys doing Well, uh, We have
7: some problem. Uh, I would say that the first problem we have is that our unemployment rate is too low. Aha. Uh-huh. Fine I don't work. want to be arrogant, but we need some more people. <laughs> because we went
0: through the recession with no no, no impact at all. So uh, wow. Send, folks. There's a place for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dust off the high school friends and just let's just go.
7: No problem. You can. You're
0: German or English. No problem. <laughs> no. Take
7: everybody, and you're gonna have fun. That's good. That's good. I guarantee. <laughs> Uh,
8: Just on the innovation front, a few things as we were presenting and part of the, the well, not the proposition, but the package that we put forward. A few things, the diversification of the economy, focusing on a few sectors where we think that we can compete locally and internationally, so that's one of those. Uh, Secondly, in terms of some of innovation, uh, we put together some, uh, because one of the discussions Afternoon was on open innovation. We've been doing a lot of uh, things or a lot of events around open innovation with local SMEs and big companies that are facing some problems. And actually, we we created a, an event that's called Quebec Seek Solution, where companies can submit their problem, and during the course of a day or two days, uh, local researchers were going to try to resolve the problems that the companies or the SMEs are facing. And wow. we've been successful and solution and finding solutions to the problems of those companies.
0: So let's, um, now is this directly related to your broadband advance or is this a no, part
8: that's, of the No, uh, that's separately because on the broadband front, uh, we've been uh, receiving a lot of funding. A lot of companies actually have been uh, putting some, uh, what we call, to the home. Mm-hmm. So uh, Quebec City was picked by one of the biggest carriers in the country, which is called Bell Canada. Uh, and they're investing uh, close to $250 million in Quebec City, and that's the first city in the country where they're going to be um, putting as much effort, and it's going to be the biggest in terms of the number of homes that are going to be connected to the system.
0: Now, that's more of a residential, or is it going to affect oh, businesses as well? Business okay. as well. Residential
8: and business as well. Mm-hmm. The objective is to hook up all of, this, all of the houses, uh, to to the the next two years.
0: Now, one of the things that actually got my attention because this is a big issue here in the U.S. is the level of support that you can get from the private sector. Because we, if you follow a lot of what's going on, and we have a certain amount of friction between lo- local governments trying to get more broadband, faster mm-hmm. broadband, higher quality broadband, and and a, and, a, and a private sector that's a little different sometimes, depending on Size of the city. Yeah. But similar to um, Tai Chong, who was our guest a little earlier this afternoon, and what I've read about you guys is that you're getting fairly aggressive support from the private sector.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: How'd you do that?
8: It's because of the mayor. He's a, he's <laughs> a, <not-seller>. he's
0: <laughs>
8: a number one uh, personality, and he's the one that convinced everyone to look at it. If able
7: to do business, in Quebec City, they have to give something, so <laughs> ah yeah, okay, it's a, it's a
8: give and take. But uh, it, I think it the because of the economic situation of the region, that you know, low unemployment rate, you I mean, business is thriving and it's growing. Uh, people see that there is some opportunity for business for the private sector to come and invest because as any private companies are looking for a return on investment mm-hmm. and based on what we're getting and seeing from those they're saying that the investment was made there you know was valuable and they actually are making money out of it mm-hmm. because people are converting people are increasing shares and things like that and they're getting the dollars in terms of, and a number of clients getting on the system mm-hmm. and
7: you see with quite a small uh city also so we know each other, uh, public and private sectors. So when we have a project, we, we just take the telephone and we call everybody so everybody has <laughs> to put some money and then it works. And they know that the city will, will always be there anyway. So we put the first amount of money and they would follow. But anyway, it's going well and everybody is happy and everybody knows that you know they, they will profit from that. So uh, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm.
8: And, and I think at the same time for the companies it's a it's a good uh, marketing uh i you know as as well because you know they're they capable to the show to the rest of the world and uh, to the rest of the country that they're able to do an entire community in an amount in a period of time that's quite fast and it's you know the the level of investment suffices to me mhm
0: now the the um the economic dynamic which seems to work against us in, in the US is you know the the big telephone companies have formulas by which they make their investments, right? They have to see X number of customers at X number of dollars per person and or per house or whatever. And in poor neighborhoods, in urban areas, as well as small rural areas which may not even be poor I mean it just yeah. maybe just not a lot of people per per square mile those become barriers because they don't fit that formula right and so and we can not like you almost have to use dynamite to get the people to move mm-hmm. because they won't go past their formula how do, you, do, do they not work the same way in Quebec or does this just, I mean I'm well, by there
7: uh, sector I've never heard about that because uh
0: now I know they're coming in Quebec
7: City, but because the economy is strong, but I've never heard about that. No, it's quite sad that I, that I hear. You know, you have to develop your future future uh, clients, and
0: uh, so it means that you're poor. You're gonna be poor. Huh? It is the way. Unless you can find a way to bring customers to the table. Now, what some smaller communities have done in the U.S. I mean, like five, six thousand people purchased this. Well, they will work with a smaller provider, number one, because they don't usually have the same layers of bureaucracy to support or stockholders. And then they will bring their customer their their citizens together to really identify needs that those citizens are willing to pay for. So what they're able to say is, yes, we may only have four thousand people, but they want to buy this service, this service, and that service. And can you provide and still be profitable? Because we got numbers.
8: Yes. What I saw in some of the smaller community in some places, they actually created like co-ops.
0: Mm-hmm. So co-ops to become co-ops. popular.
8: So which is a way for them to be able to get a provider one, and at the same time, they're actually creating jobs in their community because it's the people of the community that actually are, you know, are members of the co-op and mm-hmm. they get, they get a job. So that's what I've seen. But uh, from our perspective, no, we've not been facing the same type of... Uh, Situation.
0: Well, count your blessings because it sounds like you have plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of people working and 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 cooperative uh, uh, broadband stuff going on. Okay, so what kinds of innovations are are happening out of there in terms of you know what's what's broadband driving in your in your communities?
8: Well, the first thing is you know, thing is the diversification of the economy because you want to attract retain your your companies that are in the the creative uh, creative uh, sector that are in the, some of the key sectors, of the knowledge-based sector, they need access to technology and they need access to broadband and fast access. So that's an element that we're using to keep and to attract and to help our local companies to continue to grow locally instead of having to look at other places to, to get access to the type of broadband infrastructure that they would need. So that's the first thing. The, the second element that we're actually also looking at it from a broadband is how can we use it as as a, a feature to attract and continue to attract people and even people at the university level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another example with whatever university, Laval University actually, was one of the last ones to, to have open access Wi-Fi in their university. Mm-hmm. But now they're at the far because of the speed, because of the other things. So, you know, they move in front of the parade, in front of their competition, mm-hmm. and now they can actually use it to attract and also to retain some of their teachers, some of the students that are looking at new technology and broad and infrastructure and Wi-Fi as part of the means to educate and also to 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 transform the economy. Mm-hmm. So those are two examples.
0: That's, that's interesting. I... Uh... You know, we I have seen lots of cases of you know industries moving out, yeah. and then it's like, oh well, what do we do now? Because they were single industry dependent. Yeah. It sounds like what you're trying to create is a multi industry environment, yeah. so you are no longer vulnerable yeah. to yeah. that kind of because yeah. a, 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 we were,
7: right?
0: we were uh, our economy used to be based on the
7: on power and government, you so So uh, mm-hmm. when you know. Uh, that trend, where governments decided to cut their, so they cut their people, their employees, and we had big impacts in Kobe City. This is where, why we just decided to see how can we diversify our local economy. So, uh, but we've been lucky.
6: We we went through it and we, we succeeded. Yeah.
7: Uh, just going
8: back on the broadband to give you another example. The the city is going to be opening a new industrial park. We're actually working with some of the suppliers like Bell to make sure that the broadband infrastructure is at the corner of the of the park when we're gonna be opening it well, when when the city's gonna be opening again in the fall. Mm-hmm. So if we attract a company, they're not gonna wait six months to a year to get access to the broadband. Mm-hmm. So it's you know the planning is a process and working with the partners and the suppliers to be ready when the companies arrive.
0: Mm-hmm. So how does a Uh, mayor all of those different moving parts together and and same page well I would say that we all share the same vision okay we know
7: where we want to go and uh, you know I always say that you have 25 leaders in the city of like Quebec City and uh, we all share the same vision and on on the tech side this is the same thing we know where we're going and we all agree usually we all agree on the same on the same projects mm-hmm. and uh, and i'm there mm-hmm. and it's, it's easy to join the mayor also uh, so cal could speak to me anytime and uh we uh, we have the same and target,
0: then we all
7: have the same issue.
0: But don't you have different goals and objectives? I mean, if you, you've got you have private sector, you got education, you got healthcare, and heaven knows how many divisions within each of those segments, um, doesn't the single vision become one of like finding a way to get past everyone's self-interest? I mean, how do you do that part? Cause that's we're all making money. Uh,
7: everybody's happy, and uh, the the economy is going well. So. Uh, and you know, if somebody would say no, we will uh, we will remember that.
0: <laughs> Let me be frank. I was like that. I mean, I'm always and there. there. You I'm, have it, folks. Know,
7: I'm always there. So if they say no, uh,
0: I will remember. Uh, yeah, back in 2008, when we were trying <laughs> do to you remember, remember that. How that? So you
5: asking me to do that? be 65.
0: <laughs>
8: I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't share your ice cream. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you,
0: remember it from the sandlot, man, back in the day. But It doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That is very good. What was um biggest challenge? I mean, I, I see how you have persuaded Okay, Okay, kudos on that. The challenge is What's get the people, challenge? To get people.
7: This is our main problem. We need to get people. We don't have enough people. Thing, a lot of, there's a Cal, in, in this organization to uh, to promote immigration this is the, the big target now, mm-hmm. the
8: big issue uh, our biggest challenge is actually the the talent, it's attracting people, mm-hmm. uh, we know that over the next uh, five years we're going to be facing um, probably around 70,000 jobs that we'll Can have to fill wow. uh, some of them through people that That's are going from to from
7: retire from
8: it, from and uh, people that are actually as well uh, the new the growth of the uh, of the economy
7: yeah and uh, so uh, go ahead
8: <laughs> so um, basically so what can we do so one of the things we decided to do was, was to focus on going abroad trying to help people to let them know about Quebec Quebec City what we have to offer and trying to convince people from around the world that it would be the place for them to grow. And bring their family and making it their new home.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, Quebec International, is that the economic development planning group? Uh, economic the economic
8: development agency for agency. the region. Okay. Is,
0: was that, or is your organization then the, I'll, I'll call it for lack of a better word, the lead planner? Like someone who kind of makes okay. sure all the plans come well, together? We're
8: a non-for-profit
6: organization
8: mm-hmm. and the objective that we follow with our partners, the city is one of our major partners. We work with them. We develop the plan and actually we're um, we're evaluated based on delivering a plan. So I get part of my funding. If I don't deliver what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to get funded mm-hmm. or I'll get cut on my funding. So the objective is to deliver what, the, what their partners are asking us mm-hmm. to do and we've been uh, delivering what asked to do.
7: Just to give you an example, so a few months ago, we uh, issued my uh, own uh, economic development plan. So we just write it down with uh, Quebec and the mm-hmm. to fit what, what, what they're doing and another couple of organizations. So that we will work. So uh, Cal has been active to, to, to build it, even to write it. Mm-hmm. So we
8: uh, mm-hmm. like that. And the objective is over five years, uh, Going to be committing 45 million mm-hmm. yes. to support, support money, the, yeah. the the economic plan. Mm-hmm.
0: Do if you had if you were in an opposite situation um, <clears throat> where you didn't have. Uh, how do I describe it? Where the, where the where the economics were a little bit different. I mean, you are sort of in a unique position relative to a lot of folks because you have more work than there are people to to do those jobs. If you were in an opposite situation, would you? Do you think you would be able to use broadband to get to where you are now? Sure. Yes. And then how 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 would you see that working? If you had to resuscitate it, versus I call that an
7: infrastructure. That's it. Yeah.
8: I would use the infrastructure as a, as, a, as an asset to attract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, retain, but it may need to attract because you know, broadband uh, and everything that has to do with it is, is part of the new economy, it's one of those pillars of the economy. Uh, you need it, you need people, you need ideas, you need innovation and you need a culture that is coming from the private, the public and the academic. The universities. Mm-hmm. So we need a combination of all of
7: this working together
8: and striving the, the economy of our region.
7: It reminds me what uh, Premier McKenna did in the province of New Brunswick in Canada. He was the first one to invest in and he had a very good impact on his economy. Mm-hmm.
8: And I know that tomorrow, uh, is it tomorrow that, uh, that the the person from Australia is here and discussing? With oh, people. right, right. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see because they that they were going to do it for the entire country mm-hmm. and to see what it, it did in terms of, you know, from an economic point of view and how it propel Australia down the road. So it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to hear about Right.
0: That. Now, this is... Um, I don't know if this is an issue or not, but you have had a divide of sort over the language. It's not their, uh, you know, the whole French... It was a
7: challenge, I would say, but uh, not that much no. now because the youth bilingual so and maybe you know, my 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 daughter she's she's she was trilingual at 19 so uh you know time changing mm-hmm. yeah. has the technology
8: helped I uh, youth
0: helps getting getting past those barriers
8: yeah, I think there's a few things you know we're,
7: we're in a more
8: global economy people have uh, you know the the younger generation has uh, probably a more open to what's going on around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the objective that we're pursuing is, you know, that we have a French culture. Uh, we're, we're a combination of the best of two worlds, of Europe and North America, by providing this environment where people can live, can work in an environment. They can work in English and live in a French community or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, when we're on you know, a place like New York, it's Europe without the jet lag. <laughs>
0: close, close to perfect. Finally. <laughs> yeah, finally, there you go. But let, let's talk about that for a second. Is You know, um, can the technology, you know, its openness, its way that you open up the gates of news, can it be used to really mediate a lot of internal stress that is counterproductive? I mean, you know, 20 years ago, like, uh, at least as we were reading the news, yeah. in the, it seemed like a really serious thing. You know, I look at kids. A, you know, the average teenager who is on three devices, talking to 15 people, multitasking for forever. To which language is like a?
8: It's not, it's a, not as much as it was. You know, I'm, I'm. This is my own personal view. Looking at my, they don't see things the same way that we did maybe 20 years ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, as I say, they're probably more part of a global. They do understand that they have to keep their their French heritage. Mm-hmm. But, in a way that it could be used as an advantage because at least, you know, they speak two languages. And as Mr. Mayor was saying, the vast majority of the kids that are around are 20 you now in Quebec, a lot of them are speak three languages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's an added value as it is perceived in many places. Like in Europe, the more languages you speak, it is added value and you can use it in different ways and means.
0: Excellent. Excellent. The, um, Let's talk about kids. Um, I have, in a number of places, listened to folks, sort the enlightened folks, talk about the need to bring kids into the process. I mean, there was a guy who, uh, in the state of Missouri, right were, there was a summit. They're talking about statewide broadband you know what are the innovations we're going to get how we're going to drive adoption how we're going to change the community and this guy who was i guess in his uh, late 50s early 60s in no uncertain terms said he brings teenagers into meetings and he tells his people that you know they work for him you know we are going to listen to what they have to say and we're going to take cues from what they have to say which to me you know it's a it's a great step because older folks older administrators particularly you know aren't necessarily that open to new stuff in general to where he's saying we're going to we're going to turn over a chunk of our planning to kids well
8: the from the perspective that the Mr. Nabom has always put forward is that the way forward is what can we do to attract and retain the, gen- the younger generation. Our objective is to be a city, a place where these people can find a place to live, a place to work, but also a place to grow. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, the statistics, you know, work is probably now down as the third element that they're going to look at. They're first going to be looking at quality of life, a uh, you know and a great place to live, and afterwards they're going to look at their job. So the younger generation has a new way of looking at things. But their values are probably not in the same orders that you know were like some of us that the first thing was to get a job and work was number one, and then the rest would come out. Mm-hmm. I think that the younger generation is looking at it differently. So the man's way of looking for it is, what can we do to that these people are going to come and live. You know, we're in the polytechnic today. Mm-hmm. What can we do to get those kids that are coming out of those engineering
7: schools that
8: they will stay and grow in the community? Mm-hmm. You know, when I've been elected,
7: I would say to as civil servants, you know, we're not going to city and, and uh, in tune with our value. I mean, people like me that that is 50 something and 60 something. I mean, we're going to build the city with the new values, and we know those values. You know, it's it's you've seen you should see you could see a lot of documents about that. Mm -hmm. So I always say, when we take it a big decision, do you think it's gonna help us to attract kids? Okay, Uh, this is our uh, our I problem, and this is our challenge. And uh, and you know, as I said, what are the new values of the The kids. First of all, a nice place, a good environment to raise a family. Secondly, a nice place to live Mm -hmm. for themselves, and uh, finally, a good place to to have a good professional life and you know to make good pay. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the other way around uh, about what I had as (laughs) as as, uh, values when I was. 20 something.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: So now, and now I I take this example. Let's say there is a couple that, you know, studied at the Montreal Polytechnic. They have one kid, they're uh, 20, between 25 and 30. Those guys would, would be able to work anywhere in the world
5: mm-hmm. because,
7: you know, they have good diplomas, they're, they're bilingual, triangle. Can those people decide to come to live in Quebec City? And what can I do to try to attract them? Mm-hmm. So when we invest big amount of money from the taxpayer, we're just asking ourselves: you think it's gonna help to bring them in Quebec City? Mm-hmm. So very different, eh? Yeah, because you know our uh, the, uh, the bureaucracy. We have a bureaucracy of 5,000 people. You, know, they're not. The average age is probably 50 something, eh? Mm-hmm. So they would think that the city, the future of the city, which should look should look like that, <laughs> you know. But they, they they design the future the city the 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 they pla- they're they're planning the city with their own values, which is big mistake. Ah, right. And um, you have to be rough to try to you know control that because uh, they're not the future of the city. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the future of this city. I'm, I'm 56. I'm not the future of this
0: city. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. I uh, I find this um, interesting because it's, it's not only just a vision at this point. At a certain point, it, it comes down to a certain sense of, like, our will our, you know, will our professional, will our ego get in the way of a logical conclusion, mm. you know, mm. because I can sit here and say, yes, you know, the future is not us old people, you know, but then I tend to be radical and off the chain quite a bit. And so, but I think at, at a government level, you know, government workers, well, workers in general, management in general, I think that is older is more resistant to change. And yeah. there's a certain amount of ego human, invested in it, right? Human being. And you've got to be able to address that, I think.
7: Is an and interesting. So my ego would, would feel <laughs> very good if I bring it. Kids in the Quebec
0: cities. That would be good for my ego. <laughs> a good legacy. A good legacy. Interesting. Well, gentlemen, I am more than pleased that you have spent Thank time, have shared some new light. Um, I may call again. You know, I may definitely call again, and have you on the show in another six months or a year to see what uh, you know what new. And in one of these days, uh, you know, I need to. Why need don't to you get come? There. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Vancouver. I have yet to make it to um, Quebec. and I got, nice. obviously have to do that. I nicest do city
7: that. in the country.
0: Not a problem. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Again, thank waiting thank for you, eh? you. No <laughs> worries, <you>. mate. <laughs> thank you. All right. Have a great day. Thank, thank you, too. sir. All righty. All right, folks. Thank you very much, all of our listeners, for, for uh, checking was in today. A
7: very good question, by the
0: way. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we have we have said adieu to our friends from Quebec. Uh, this has been I'm just I'm just awed at it all, and so I hope that uh, that everyone here has enjoyed uh, the uh, interviews today. That people tell your friends, your your colleagues working on broadband projects. You know, three hours that we've spent here today covered a lot of mileage, a lot of innovation, a lot of new ideas and so forth and so on that's what gigabit nation is all about is bringing new ideas to the table helping people get broadband where it needs to be i want to thank you the audience i want to thank um hiawatha broadband communications one of our uh one of our sponsors it has been a great day a good conference and uh, i hope to see you or hear you or you hear me uh in the upcoming thank you and good day